0: let Billy Joe be the bird. And then if Becky comes back, I have a chicken. I have a yellow chicken and Becky can be the yellow chicken. Okay? Okay, Quentin. Come on, boy. Come here. Let's take off the gloves. You can't, you can't sign good with the gloves on. Okay, look. What are you? I i
1: up
2: by your good boy. Sit down. Come here.
0: No. No,
1: no. One more
0: time, and the smile's going. Okay. What? <laughs> Come here. Let me get you. That's maybe too little for you.
1: Oh, oh Bowie.
0: We'll fix it. Okay. We. I can fix it. Later when we get ready for the big program. What are you? Okay. like I said, I am a
1: monkey. Monkey. Well, I have it there.
3: Welcome back to Wiseman Podcast. I'm your host, Sean glennis and I'm here with my co host, Arlen Golden. How are you doing, Arlen?
4: Hey Sean, doing good. Uh, happy to be with you again to engage with just another wonderful piece of filmmaking in depth.
3: To engage with cinema verite cinema. Uh yeah. Direct uh, cinema, but direct yeah. cinema. Fly <laughs> on the wall kind of stuff. Um we have something uh, in the news about Wiseman that is not flying the wall, and that is his film at Venice. Yes. A couple, um, which we've yeah, talked yeah, about. Yeah, lots after.
4: happened. Yeah,
3: a lots happened, but a lot of reviews on that um, have have come out, and uh, a lot of the stuff. It's a, it's funny. I haven't. I think I've read most of the stuff that's come out, unless I'm like, unless it's just like you know a certain publication that's just like I don't. I've never heard of you before, and I can't imagine like I'll browse it. I can't imagine caring about what you're saying, but <laughs> the stuff that I, that I have, uh, appreciated has interestingly come from older people. And uh-huh. it's made me think about, uh, in the abstract, uh, what this project is. And, uh, regardless well, of it's like, his first fiction film, as we fiction. keep reading. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, uh I don't know how much we'll talk about it before like it falls in line um, I'm I'm guessing we will chat maybe a little bit about it when it comes out but maybe not a whole deep dive uh, I don't know we'll have to discuss we'll this see. but but uh, it's made me think about like how touching it is as a project um, for somebody who is was uh had just lost his wife of like 60 plus years yeah. and um, making this film about a marriage that was sort of like famously tortured Leo and Sophia Tolstoy from her perspective. And that being the perspective of somebody who had to deal with, you know, this obsessive uh, artist yeah. and for, for this film to perhaps be a, Part of like, I don't want to speak for him, but if it's part of like his mourning process or just like how he's like, how he's dealing with that. Yeah. I think that that, and like some of the, the critiques I've read are, are like that, that it is a piece of auto fiction mm-hmm. that I find that very, uh, very touching. And, but like, it also is the reason why I, the fact that it is coming from a man who was married for 60 years about a marriage uh it's just kind of one of those things where it's just like i am excited to watch this i will i will admit outright this is not going to be something that i'm going to be able to speak to or understand the resonance of mm-hmm. yeah. but uh but certainly appreciate
4: yeah yeah i mean I'm, I'm i'm looking forward to it as i would any weissman um just sort of seeing you know, uh, it, it's going to be hard for me to approach it i think not Similar from our project here, and like trying to draw connections, you know, mm. to his themes and interests and like other work, uh, especially, you know, knowing Davey shot it. Right. Um, and just thinking also about, you know, the past couple years and like the COVID uh, milieu, you know, what resonances there might be there uh, for this, what seems to be like a relatively sparse uh, film. Um, but yeah, uh, there's so that premiered at Venice. Um, uh, also premiered at Venice and showing at TIFF uh, is Rebecca Latowski's new film, Other People's Children, uh, which the cast has dropped. Also contains Frederick Weissman playing an OBGYN named Dr. Weissman. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, that film seems to be getting uh, good press, uh, but I've not seen anyone directly address <laughs> Uh, Weissman in the film, if it's just a passing cameo or what.
3: Yeah, Um, I'd I'd love uh, to ask him if he drew any inspiration from the uh, gyno in high school.
4: (laughs) I'm sure, yeah. He's just uh, making lewd (laughs) jokes and smoking ciggies. Uh, um, So there's that. But I think the biggest uh, news item since our last episode is uh, a casual drop in an interview he uh, was doing for uh, a couple that he is has a, f- a new documentary project uh, forthcoming uh, that he's in, I guess, pre-production on that he plans to start shooting in, in a month or so, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, drove us into speculation mode. What could it be? Uh, Where is it going to be? You know, how long is it going to be? Uh, is he still going to uh, do the sound recording, you know, because we saw pictures of him at Venice walking with a cane, you know, and just thinking about operating a boom, uh, the type of intensive production uh, that he does. Or um, perhaps more
3: live recording.
4: Perhaps, you know, who's to say, but I, you know, I, uh, a reason for listeners to be excited, certainly.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because I just revisited city hall and, um, it made me think a lot about the project from in Jackson Heights through, um, city hall. And that's sort of like how, how these, these four films really do meditate off of each other on certain things about like how cities are changing, um, and how big business and big development really play a large part in that. Um, and, uh, specifically like Amazon has mentioned, uh, in two of his films and I'm curious, like I was talking to you about this off air about like, I would, I wonder if he would be interested to like be able to attack, uh, you know, an, an institution like film wise, uh, that, uh, if he's still interested in looking like this, like you know, twenty uh, first century community project, um, and looking at something that does have under its purview either like Amazon or like rideshare, I think would mm-hmm. would be really interesting. I would I wouldn't be surprised if he keeps on that uh, wavelength of like something that is about like contemporary civics.
4: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like some of those potential, uh, areas of inquiry will probably be not so permissive in terms of giving Weissman the free free reign to explore. So like what sort of, (laughs) definitely, definitely. And I mean, you know, I I think probably laws or regulations around those kind of things in like France are probably a bit looser than they would be here um if he wanted to try and find some wiggle room to do something like that but i think you know last time we were kind of spe- or i don't remember what ne- we were speculating uh which episode on what a, a forthcoming project might be but you know it it seemed like private industry or a business or something would be kind of a natural uh topic for for an ex film given what you're saying where he's been recently but also You know, I was kind of breaking it down. It's like, all right, like three of the last four were kind of community films, you know, uh, in Jackson Heights and Monrovia and City Hall. And then I think it was like three of the last six were like public institutions of uh Ex Libris and at Berkeley National, and nas- yeah, National yeah National Gallery. Gallery. So so you know he's been waiting in those waters and you know this is uh well it's going to be 2023 so you know who knows when this film's going to come out uh but you know it it's been a, a gap for him in terms of production for a documentary and whether he's going to continue in this in these realms or i i think it's more likely that he's gonna it, it seems like city hall was like such a tidy bow in mm-hmm. a way in a lot of ways you know that that it's it's ripe for him to sort of Move. S- start the next chunk you know or uh you know uh, you have to imagine he's as he told us he's often thinking about his own mortality these days whether he he was even interested in uh, conceiving of, like, a, a, a thematic series or if it will be something more self-contained and standalone. Um, but, yeah, just, just fun to wax about and, and uh, you know, whatever he does or is going to do. It yeah.
3: would be funny if he was, like, you know, a lot of my films, like, uh, have, like, visual or, like, just outright, like, uh, stuff about death in them. Be funny if he was just like i'm gonna do funeral home
4: why not um, yeah. i would love it yeah
3: but uh which you know we'll be talking about near death in a couple in a few episodes but um <sighs> anyway yeah I, i'm excited obviously and it's gonna be great uh to 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 see what comes out yeah but, but today today we talk about death uh the second part in the, in the deaf and blind series uh, which we, uh, you know, introduced last episode. Um, so we are uh, like five hours into this nine-hour film, um, as as he's right. called it. Um, and uh, I liked, I really liked uh, member's uh, journal entry, his diary entry. Um, he he opens it with just like this general appreciation of the project, which. Yeah which I liked because it can kind of get lost, like how much, how great of an undertaking this is. Um, and he praises Wiseman for using that genius money on, um, right. this like incredibly non-commercial project. Yeah. And just for like the expansion of his, of his canvas and like not letting himself get hemmed in by traditional film links, um, is just, uh, something to be lauded.
4: For sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, well, we have a great guest. Brittany
3: Gravely. Thank you. The, uh, yes, publicist and designer at the Harvard yeah. Film Archive. Um,
4: but, um, you know, right off the bat, it's just, you know, thinking about the film both as it exists unto itself and as a the second installment of this series is just, like, very interesting and, like, something I couldn't help but kind of speculate about myself is the way you know both how is this film in conversation with blind and and what would be the experience of watching this film first without having seen blind and having any of uh, those sort of expectations or preconceived notions about what the series might be about um i mean it's it's very like natural to sort of compare the films in different ways and like Something uh, we know later and and Mamber also kind of notes is like, this isn't just a repeat of blind, you know, but with, with deaf kids, you know, it's, it's it's very distinct in a lot of ways. Um, But like, yeah, what
3: if you were just like watching, you know, you turned on PBS and you missed blind. You didn't know blind existed. Yeah. And you just watched deaf. Very possible.
4: Totally. I mean, uh, though, you know, thinking about like all the the writings we got into in the blind episode compared to the writings we're gonna talk about today, it's like relatively scant, you know. And I think there, for me at least, it's unfortunate that that blind really seems to overshadow deaf uh, and yeah. sort of the larger critical discourse.
3: Well, it's interesting that like yeah, a lot of the reviews which I I think we mentioned last episode are like. Um, Oh, well, the series starts off tonight and I'm gonna talk a little bit about Blind. Yeah. That's it. And it's like if you watched all of it, which I think a lot of them did, uh, that are talking about them, like weren't you watching Deaf and being like, Holy cow, this is right. something I yeah, should talk yeah. about. Like
4: For sure.
1: Yeah.
3: This is different and other issues and whatever, but um we yeah. don't we sadly don't get that. I think we only I think we only get one Two, we get two uh, reviews that are standalone, mm-hmm. deaf reviews, right?
4: Yeah, uh, one in Variety and one uh, from our old friend J.J. or uh, uh, John J. John O'Connor. J. O'Connor. <laughs> yeah. Um,
3: which before we get to those, I did want to yeah. uh, kind of talk about uh, the the New York Times uh, Paul Wilkes th- uh, profile that we talked about last yeah. time. He does he does mention like the crocodile alligator thing, which we talked with Brittany about, mm-hmm. but is really just a funny a uh, funny scene and interesting, but, um, and he also mentions, so, you know, he does a lo- has a little bit more of due diligence and talks about this central, like Peter and mom scenario, which we talk a lot about with Brittany um, and talks about how you can feel the pain and frustration in this scene. Um, yeah. And I don't, I, I don't think we mentioned the grand street thing last time, but this like New York city, like lit mag from 1989, had this article um, in it and it's, it's just pretty bad. Uh, but uh, there is a moment where they, they mentioned like the importance of this, uh, the counselor, Dr. Meacham uh, yeah. asking, asking what the, the, the sign is for adjustment or adjusting. <laughs> and I don't really catch what their reasoning is for, for calling that out. Um, other than like saying things are uh, signing is a complex thing, mm-hmm. but but it did make me think um at, at least about the extent of like what someone knows who is you know a counselor in this yeah. instance and a doctor like the com- the complexity of it is that you, there are still going to be words that that slip through um and that you just don't yeah don't know
4: yeah well i mean it's a it's a wide vocabulary and you know as as like the next films will sort of address you know education is like a lifelong process right mm-hmm. um but you know such on the topic of dr meacham you know in, in blind in the last episode we we're kind of going back and forth a lot about like in the writing just kind of everyone's sort of like ebullient like reverence for the institution kind of uncritical great work mm-hmm. um And it's interesting in this film, I, I've had that impression a little more. And I think it's largely due to Dr. Meacham's presence. Um, because there is, there seems to be a lot more of uh, an interest or, or a recognition of the necessity of like emotional learning and like Engaging with the students uh, in their experiences and just like addressing their experience in a way that to me felt lacking and blind, I think, and and also the way that the Weissman in his uh, composition of his actuality material like is presenting that to us. And I mean that stuff might have existed uh at At the school for the blind and and he chose to leave it for deaf we don't that's a definitely a possibility yeah. but like like the um I think the way that he in this film he more directly engages with kind of the ambiguities of it all and and the the sort of gray areas um have have this effect i think of you know transparency and honesty being like virtuous things uh that that we seek in our public institutions that sort of lend this film and this school a bit more of that air uh than than i personally felt in blind
3: interesting um i know Brittany says something uh towards the end of the episode about um the lack of like open-ended questions and getting to know students. And and I think that there's that trade-off, like where I, I do think di- Dr. Meacham is um, is doing good work, but I don't necessarily think that, that she's surrounded by like-minded admin. Mm-hmm. And um, likewise in blind, you know, I mentioned on the last episode about like how nice it is to see some of these like learning opportunities that are really instructed by the student that the student gets Mm. to to guide um and you don't see that here you know so Mm -hmm. i I, I think there are trade-offs but i mean i also i don't know if it's worth distinguishing between places within the institution when it's all just kind of like adding up
4: yeah well i mean it's hard you know we have different principles for these two schools right you know so there there seems to be you Know there's this larger umbrella of the Alabama Institute for the Deaf and Blind, and then there's also these schools. You know, there's that we get the kind of signature Weissman like sign out front, you know, mm-hmm. early on in the film to, to situate us. Um, but like the you know, maybe dipping into the Peter scene again a little bit, we'll go in depth later, but like the thinking about that scene in relation to the Dallas scenes in Blind as these kind of moments of, like, administrative discipline, you know, or talking about how they're going to correct behavior or deal with, like, a troublesome student. Um, you know, and we, we could talk about how, like, overt or subtle these things are, but, like, in Blind, to me, it was very much about, like, punitive measures and and discipline and not yeah. you know whether or not th- they are going to how ha- you know that those things are addressed in both of these scenes but like in blind they're not really talking about root causes at all in the way that's explored in deaf you know they're not talking about the reasons for Dallas is acting out they're just talking about him acting out and are we going to spank him or not you know here you know the prescriptive, you know, actions might be hollow and like surface level in terms of what they're going to do to address his behavior, but they really get into why is he behaving the way he is? And like, what are the myriad troubles that he is experiencing that are causing him to act out? Uh, yeah. And that might might also,
3: that that's, that's true. That might also be reflective of the age difference between like a dallas and a, and a peter i think dallas was i don't know
4: this is younger and, yeah for sure and
3: peter's 14 and so there is more like emotional iq that you can talk with peter about but but yeah um it's worth thinking about
4: yeah yeah i mean um you know for i i wrote down a little list i mean mom doesn't write enough mom's letter arrives late mom mm-hmm. doesn't let him go to school with bubba bishop uh he <laughs> wants contact with his real dad he isn't being given enough money to go to the roller rink and he's feeling depressed and suicidal you know it's like you know yeah. uh, all yeah. all of these kind of uh insights into his interior world um mm-hmm. that sure. uh is is pretty unique and and like um it's just, you know, like, like you were just saying yeah. about what we talk about later in terms of getting to know students, you know, this is pretty much as deep as, as we're going.
3: Yeah. And then blind. Yeah. With Dallas, it isn't are they're, they're just like talking about how he's doing attention seeking behavior and it needs to stop. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, so the variety in review is uh, David uh, Stratton and it's very brief and yeah. quite bad. Uh, and he brings up children of a lesser God, which is interesting. And uh, he says that the the film is long, and a, and that length is going to be a barrier for viewers. And but but since Wiseman edited the film himself, presumably he wants it. That way. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Um And and he ends saying that he that Wiseman could attract a, a wider audience if he was a more rigorous editor.
4: Right, which is yeah something we hear self-parody.
3: a lot in his uh uh. 2010s work mm-hmm. when when a lot more people are reviewing and that and like, says general, he needs a better editor or something, yeah that know? like general <laughs> conception of of um you know length equals no editor kind of thing
4: right yeah yeah and 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 um stratton specifically says more rigorous editing you yeah know? Know. like it's like Obviously, not having a conception of all the footage that they accumulated and that the film is is called from, right? It's like like the most rigorous editing it's you can do. Like,
3: you have to think about like watching that that Peter mother and Peter scene, and it's just like what what is somebody like that thinking about? Be like, oh yeah, I get it. Uh, <laughs> move on, like you know, this is too long. Right, I get yeah. that they're not commu- like the it, when it's really about more of like as we talked about last episode, the experiential uh, television and mm-hmm. really being able to like put yourself in this place and uh, think about how, why these people are feeling this way. And, um, and, and kind of like we were talking about with Jeff about uh, where's Waldo, of, like being able to like in the length of something like that scene, that 45 minute scene, being able to think your, your way around it mm-hmm. at Move your own. It. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, that's important
4: yeah um the the other thing he said too, is like the he's sort of creating the straw man of like a typical viewer that is clearly just like him, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. or right, it's right. like you know viewers tend to be impatient or <laughs> like you know okay we we get what your experience was watching this, you know <laughs> like, yeah um, and to the you know, it is interesting to think about a, the concept of a wider audience as it relates to Weissman, because I mean, he is, he is probably right in that fact. If like speculating, if these films were shorter, more people would see them, you know, and, and he would, uh, uh have a wider viewership, but like the films would just be so different and, and like compromised. you know, as to not be a Weissman film. Mm-hmm.
3: um, the John J. O'Connor New York Times piece um, it opens uh, by talking about uh, Fred's uh, testimony before the Senate Communications Committee about the Public Te- Telecommunications Act of 1988, which I think we'll get into in a second. Mm-hmm. But um, but he opens with that as as evidence of of just to say like how dedicated Wiseman is to his work and the system within which he he works. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, saying that he's like stubbornly devoted to making films the way he wants to, um, and John J. O'Connor talks about how challenging the films are, uh, but says that they're almost always memorable. Right. And he does, but he he does say some some stretches of, of the films are incomprehensible, mainly pointing mm. to like the scenes of the children communicating, right. um, and some scenes in the films to come. But uh, he said that uh, he gets the feeling Wiseman is trying to saddle us with guilt, as if yeah, that was if weird. you can't take it, it's your fault.
4: Yeah, yeah, I, I wasn't really uh, that wasn't really resonating with me. Projecting, um,
1: yeah, much. maybe a little bit.
3: Yeah. <laughs> but um, ultimately, he thinks it's an important work of art. I
4: think. Well, he, he says it should be in a time capsule. That's right. Uh, the, that's yeah, but right. that uh, the, the film or the institute rather. Uh, which is interesting distinction, right? The, the films and the actual real life Institute. Mm-hmm. But he says the Alabama Institute catches us at our most caring and compassionate moments.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he also says um, that the mother and son scene, Peter scene, uh, what does he say? Oh, it, it like captures something universal. It could about... take place
4: at any school.
3: Yeah, yeah, which actually right. Robert yeah. Coles has a similar quote. I have it somewhere about, like, uh, he says, Wiseman dwells on this scene not to show a special psychopathology, but to remind us of universals that transcend difficulties such as deafness, the failures of trust and love that mark the lives of so many of us. And I don't necessarily think, well, well, I think that that can be uh, said about some parts of these this series. Um, I think... It's important, like the deafness is very specific to that scene. Yeah. And um, it, it, like, it's not about just any relationship between a mother and son, but the, the, the communication problems are like just, and, and also the child being sort of, uh, you know, uh, disowned by right. people um, because of that deafness is not just like, a universal thing
4: but for sure yeah i mean like you're saying they're very specific ways that deafness operates and like informs these myriad issues but you know you think i guess about the idea of like a kid who's acting out in school who has like a troubled home life and like you know is just feeling like depressed and isolated like you know an american 14 year old um and a meeting between them and their parent and school administrators, you know, um, and, like, the the ways I think that that those kind of things feel universal. Obviously, yeah, specificities abound, um, especially as the way, like, you know, the central theme of the film really is about communication and, like, the way the, in this scene uh, that's expressed, you know, through, like, their an uh, inherent inability to communicate just because you know for all the reasons the scene gets into um but how you know there there may be kind of a superficial resolution towards the end but but once the concept of a lack of communication is directly addressed the meeting seems to take a turn towards like resolutions or or you know that that's the thing that's unspoken that needs to be said aloud, um, before it can be, you know, addressed, um, and, and will be the catalyst, hopefully, you know, in the most optimistic reading for like a true, uh, um, resolution to all these problems that Peter's experiencing.
3: Yeah, for sure. Um, it is interesting when he's talking about this time capsule, how it could be a time capsule, um, cause he's talking about like the way that, uh, you know, it reproduces or reflects society and talks about like racial harmony, something that yeah. isn't, isn't really, uh, but, uh, but could be, um, and I was thinking about it, it made me think about it in the same way that, uh, we thought about a scene as like sort of this closed uh, mm-hmm. community that, that, um, uh, yeah i don't know in a different way than than Keith grant uh groups them together but but uh, i think
4: too it's it's interesting to think about yeah i definitely noted that but like the difference again with blind right in this sort of like uh, integrated uh, idea of like you know, I think when we see some of the sort of just, like, hanging out in the schoolyard scenes, there seems to be a bit more segregation, you know, um, because there is there is that visual signifier of race uh, right, f- right. in the way that, that blind kids don't have. Um, or, like, you know, the basketball team seems to be exclusively black. Um,
3: Did you want to talk about this uh, Public Telecommunications Act of 1988 in the Senate hearing?
4: Yeah, so we... Uh, on the heels of reading John J O'Connor's uh, mention of that, we we did find the transcript of Weissman's testimony, which was you know kind of gold for us. Very exciting to just kind of. It's very easy to find if you yeah. want.
3: Uh, it's not hard.
4: Yeah, I, I think I googled like Frederick Weissman Senate Committee <laughs> something <laughs> like that. <laughs> um, but you know, it it's you know, we've talked about throughout these eighties episodes about like Weissman's public haranguing of corporation for public broadcasting and PBS and just sort of this idea of how he is in opposition to mainstream television. And like, uh, so to, to sort of see it all come to a head and hear him like directly express all these different yeah. uh, issues that he perceives to exist uh, to people who have some kind of ability to do something about it was just like very uh, in- satisfying and like uh, instructive for us. I think.
3: Yeah, he he appeared right before Marlon Riggs, right? Yeah, Marlon and, Riggs uh, was after. He's very f- uh, Wiseman is very prepared. I would say and articulate. Yeah. Um. He he basically is saying that the uh, CPB uh, Corporation of, for Public broad- Broadcasting is set up to produce only mediocre programming. And he goes on to list like these various ways that the organization's structure uh, and process uh, supports that claim. And he talks about things like how the panel, um, the judging panel has no experience in production Mm. um, and their process is insufficient for for considering artistic merit. Uh, they don't allow democratic decisions between themselves and, and applying filmmakers. Um, and he says that the the purpose seems not to explore great programming, but to uphold the bureaucracy of public television. Yeah, that was funny. And and then he goes on to like ask for a detailed audit of the organization's <laughs> yeah, right. fund, and and then also like suggest that they look at Channel Four in in the UK as like this alternate.
4: Model. Right. Right because I think the, the chief executive there was somebody who was a producer and, and filmmaker yeah. and had knowledge of those things. But, like, yeah, he, he goes hard against mm-hmm. the whole mm-hmm. panel process. He's like, they're not professional, they lack responsibility, there's no accountability, they don't employ informed decision-making, and they make weak programming decisions, you know? Like, yeah. like the, these are the people who have been the primary, like, showcasers of his work his entire career right and this is mm-hmm. what he's expressing about him and i mean obviously it, it seems to have the the makeup and the panel process seems to have changed during the reagan administration uh when these hearings are taking place um but yeah, yeah. It, it seems to be much more of like you know probably some nepotism at play in terms of like just like political affiliations being put on this board as like a, a resume booster you know he says these mm-hmm. people are like doing on the job training mm-hmm. and like there's all the panel review process there's only like 12 minutes right to consider each work including screening time yeah and oftentimes they'll have no uh uh knowledge of like the history of a work or other work of that filmmaker obviously referring to himself um you know but it it, and it's interesting too that marlon riggs follows uh being sort of at the opposite end of weissman in terms of he had only had his first feature ethnic notions uh premiered the previous year on uh, pbs um so it's kind of like a new up-and-coming right. non-fiction filmmaker uh, but both of them sort of e- e- explaining these like myriad issues that they're encountering
3: it's funny because from the outside it, it, you would think like oh man like Wiseman and PBS it's just like you know peanut butter and chocolate like it right. just kind of like goes it, they've had such a great relationship and he opens by like kind of like apologize I think he's tactful and yeah. it kind of goes to what John O'Connor says about like how it speaks more to like, it's not, it doesn't seem vindictive as much as like this, I take this seriously because I'm an artist and this is like my job and I want to be able to work the way I want to work and make the things that I want to make. Um, and he apologizes for like having to say this publicly, yeah. um, in, 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 uh, this hearing, but yeah. It's, it's definitely worth reading if, you know, Yeah, why well, I
4: mean, it. at, at the same time, you know, he, he makes those apologies, but then he'll say something like public television is like a third rate university where <laughs> everyone has tenure. <laughs> like, he's not pulling punches, you know, yeah, no, the, no. The, his frustration is palpable, you know, yes, because yes, he, he's had to go through all these, uh, processes. He's the, like, these
3: are all the things I've wanted to tell you to your face. And for sure.
4: Like, yeah. So, yeah. And I guess we'll just, just interesting to note that these uh, testimonies informed um, the Public Telecommunications Act of 88, uh, H.R. 4118, um, which. In part, states, asserts as a policy component underlying the Corporation for Public Broadcasting that it is in the public interest to encourage creative risk in programming and to develop programming that addresses the needs of unserved and underserved audiences, especially children and minorities. And also, uh, it reduced the CPB discretion in programming and acquisitions. Um, and this would require funds for an independent production service separate from CPB and organized for the purpose of contracting with the CPB to spend funds for the production of public television programming by independent producers and independent production entities, which uh, would come to be ITVS, um, which we know today as um, the, I guess hosts or uh, they, they do independent lens on PBS, the series and uh, 88 also would have been the year that uh, POV premiered on PBS, uh, which remains, you know, like the premier showcase for uh, new documentary films on television. Great series. A lot of great work is screened there and continues to screen there. Um, But beyond those two prescriptive measures, you know, I think Marlon Riggs was kind of talking about the makeup of, pbs programming and it's like you know british drama imports and like cooking shows and travelogues and things like that and like you know thinking about (laughs) what's on pbs today you know it's like doesn't seem like a ton has changed
3: yeah and those things that you just mentioned are clearly clearly like marketed towards a very specific like yeah wealthy or like middle-class audience yeah. you know yeah yeah, yeah yeah right people who can travel uh mm-hmm. that type of stuff um yeah uh yes interesting um and gosh i mean even just thinking about the opening which i briefly mentioned with Brittany, but and going back to how like fewer views there are for this specific thing and even writing today uh and you get within the first 30 seconds these three shots of like the sign for the federal prison shot for the for the AIDB and then the shot for village video which markets yeah. like 30, more than 2000 2, yeah. movies and uh it's so funny like uh right away like it's it's there's there's something going on and it's it the the first cut just to the AIDB sign is like funny and just like how blatant of a comparison he's making here or at least like wanting us to think about the similarities and then the third i don't know exactly what to do other than it's like kind of kind of a wink or like this yeah. is what i can do with <laughs> cinema kind of thing yeah. uh member also kind of i think he he called it like a maybe joke uh, but <laughs> that's but good yeah other than that uh I, I didn't see that mentioned anywhere but it's it's uh just that playfulness
4: coming mm-hmm. in well, I think you know it's natural to think of like the lily pad shots after the racetrack scene in Blind as like you know sort of establishing uh, Talladega you know as like a community beyond just the institution and and it does seem you know we're getting kind of different shots of different kinds of things than what we saw in Blind um, in that opening sequence you know like like there's this grain silo. Of like some kind of industry kind of thing and the signs you're talking about, which I think, you know, the video store uh, must be like the defunct theater we saw in the same sequence Mm -hmm. in blind, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, But like, uh, again, it's sort of moving from the outskirts of town, like a lot of highways and industry sort of into the main street and we get like a park. And in fact, before we meet any of the students, we see, what what appears to be like a blind couple walking down the yeah. sidewalk, you know, uh, I guess you know more of a direct linking uh, between <laughs> films. Um, but and some
3: really fun swing swing shots.
4: <laughs> yeah, well, they're having a lot of fun swinging. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh But again, you know, the linkage to blind and the right. playground and the swings uh, in the opening of that film too. Um, but I think you know it made me think about how something the film will get into is like the the difference in like visual signification between blind and deaf people you know like uh obviously when you see and hear a deaf person signing you know that's how you know that they're deaf but like um you don't know it because they're like they, you you would with the couple walking down the street here right. they not like kind of She's not I think uh the person she was with might have been cited, and she was like holding on to him for guidance, but it it's you know a different visual situation
3: that that uh reminds me of something that uh when when Grant was talking about the guest guest on scene the the end yeah. um not necessarily about that scene, but uh he kind of plays off that that central message and says that uh of that speech. And says that um, the, that there's an ambiguity like you're talking about of being handicapped, and that Wiseman like creates that between the viewer and the people on screen sometimes. And I, I thought immediately of the the scene where the counselor, Dr. Meacham, is signing to these like older people, like se- senior citizens maybe, and talking with them. Yeah. And-
2: this year, we are doing mostly the same things that we have done in the past. But now, we are trying to make sure that all people here know different ways of giving and sharing information to our counseling staff. I am using a kind of case management and am giving some different people responsibility in following different students and making sure that information is gathered and given about each of these students.
3: And uh, there's this man behind her that is just watching her. like clearly another like admin or whatever, and but he doesn't speak. And um and then a couple scenes later he reappears and he's he's having this this meeting about a child, I believe. And, and he's, he's deaf, deaf and, and he's, he's signing. signing. This boy got instead of two problems. She called me to her office the the time
5: of the and there he was. She and I talked, Yep, for over one hour, trying to find out
6: many, many, many things about his background. We came to
3: the point that his mother had a lot to do with his emotional problems and it created a moment for me to reflect about how we consider people when we see them and the sort of conclusions you make about them yeah um because like seeing him before like he he doesn't have any like visual signifiers like you're talking about of being handicapped um and then is and uh I don't know it's just a reflective moment
4: for sure yeah yeah i mean i think uh i guess jumping around a little but touching on uh grant and the closing scene with dr gaston um you know we'll we'll talk with britney about this continued thing of like american exceptionalism and this idea of like individual greatness um but the way that that conflicts with the interdependence inherent uh, throughout oh, yeah, yeah. these two films, you know this idea that like you are great and you can be great. This is America; you could do whatever you want to do. Yet, uh, you know, the as right off the bat from this brief shot of two people walking down the street, you know, one blind person is very dependent on this other person, and throughout this film, you know, there is the constant struggle to achieve independence. You know, uh, uh, through the Help of all the faculty of the school and and the other students, but like you know the to be independent um as a deaf or blind person, you know also risks isolation in Mm -hmm. ways that is not not present in like the popular conception of like american individualism right because like uh you're you're lacking these certain sensory inputs um so it can be a very isolating experience to be independent and like what are the values in collaboration and interdependence that are not being considered Uh, by like american society at large but are being just demonstrated in these films and i think that's something weissman's really highlighting and like asking us to consider
3: yeah i really liked that i thought that was a smart observation by grant um to point out that interdependence and of course it makes you think about the dance scene in, in blind as like yeah we talked about as this like ultimate moment of community but yeah um speaking of which uh one thing we we didn't talk about was the football coach and like the pre-game speech and like
4: that's not what you expect from a football coach yeah Yeah.
3: y'all pay attention
6: practice all week hard 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 now i'm gonna say four things first remember where you got your skills lord gave it to you second have a good time third Do your best Fourth, all of us here loving each other and remember that, okay? Let's go out there and play football this afternoon. Play hard, tackle hard, but enjoy yourself. Make good plays, run strong, support each other, okay? We got to get ready. We ain't got about four or five minutes to get on the field. You need to hurry. You're in the first group. You ready for them to change things? Yeah.
3: Yeah, you're so accustomed to this one thing, and then all of a sudden you get this football coach with these deaf students, and um, it's just about like how we we need to communicate, and you need to like, and we love each other, and we yeah. just like that's more important, and yeah, than, like, like have happiness. have fun, you know. Yeah, you're, you're yeah. given
4: your talent by God. <laughs> um, yeah, and and yeah, we we love each other. You know, definitely stands out in this, you know, idea of what you know, popularly we consider to be like this Friday night lights kind of culture, right? Of like intense, right. which can be, uh,
3: you know, which yeah. can be like, you know, brotherly or whatever, but it has yeah. this more like fraternal feeling of, of like this, like hardened and the way that, that this football coach is talking about it is so distinct for it's sure. Like soft. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know, then we, we see them playing too. And it looks like any other football game, you know, they have cheerleaders on the sideline i notice it's all to like this big bass drum that they're doing Mm -hmm. i guess because maybe you could like feel the vibrations yeah Yeah, exactly um but uh and in the stands i think there were uh, an assortment of uh, throughout the institute not just for the school of the deaf it seemed like there were there other students watching the game as well um but, like, like again, playing with this idea of, like, what's universal, what's specific, you know, and, and mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. overlapping between those.
3: True. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we talk enough about the the mother and Peter scene, but I was going to put in a little plug for Mamber's Diarrhea because he goes in depth about sort of, like... Um, if you haven't read that and you like that scene, um, I think it's worth reading because he just kind of like goes through all of the details in a way to talk about uh, the slow uh, accruing of um, mm-hmm. revelations. And, and yeah, he that he really him. like
4: picks it apart and and like yeah. names kind of in a very methodical way all everything that's operating in in a mm-hmm. very satisfying way. Um, another thing from his entry, uh, I like just in terms of this idea we've been discussing about Weissman's opposition to uh, certain kinds of television is is in the jail cell scene. Uh, they have like yeah. a TV in the jail cell, and it's like this pacifying element. They have
1: a
6: TV in there. Well, a lot of the cells staff have TVs. have got them having some kind of quiet it down. They get restless
7: if you.
4: It's like, oh, they need something to do, or they yeah. go crazy, or whatever, <laughs> you know. And like, like you know, again, kind of Weissman slyly, you know, thinking back to this testimony we just talked about of like what TV is in America, you know, yeah, um, which we talked about uh,
3: with the basketball scene later as well. Right, right. Um, I don't have a lot of other notes, but I do. I did want to notice or note, even though. I don't know if... Soapy boy? What what was that?
4: (laughs) I was going to say the soapy boy. Yes. Circles.
3: Circles.
1: No, I don't want it on me. No, I don't want it on me. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Make circles.
0: Where's your nose?
1: Nose 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 nose
3: He nose the there is a visual repetition of a uh, of two different uh, young black boys who are basically like in white face right <laughs> one is like a a, a boy with with uh, soap all over his face and the other one is making a mask like like making a um like a model like some kind of plaster
4: cast uh, yeah
3: yeah. and yeah i have no idea what to do with it i don't even know fred Wiseman knows what he's saying about it but uh he probably does but uh (laughs) but like it is very striking (laughs) yeah yeah yeah.
4: i mean you definitely notice it and i think we, we were talking offline about this just cause like the, the first sequence with the soapy kid is very like funny and cute. Uh, he's just like having a lot of fun being covered in soap. <laughs> and, uh, the second sequence is less remarkable, but it recalls this first one in a way that seems very like yeah. plain and obvious. So there must be some kind of connection there. And I think what, what I was getting, I think was this is because they're both black students, uh, and, Engage, just kind of communicating this idea of like time and like how long students are spending their lives in this institution you know because the 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 second kid in the art class is so much older Mm -hmm. than the first kid um but like you know you can conceive of the same student Doing both activities, you know, across their educational lifespans, right? Um, so just just driving point the point home, you know, as as happens in other scenes, you know, particularly with Peter, just like how much of their lives is within the institution.
3: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, um, yeah i I don't know if there's more if there's more resonance from that but uh, yeah. it would be interesting to ask him about not that he would give you a straight answer <laughs> um
4: something else i just want to call out i don't know if i have anything interesting to say about it but the in a, a early uh, educational sequence with like real little kids we get another student named jason and yeah, the, yeah. the teacher's trying to get him to sign
8: what did jason do yeah, wow. Jason. What can you say, Jason? Jason. Jason what? Watt. Watt. Okay. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you
4: know, thinking about the the great scene from Blind. You know, just a, yeah. a nice little callback there.
3: <laughs> right. Well, do you have any other notes on on deaf?
4: Um. I mean, I had a ton of notes, <laughs> but
3: well, I don't know. I was gonna, <laughs> yeah. uh, I was gonna yeah. say, I think, like you, you said you were telling me before that you are a deaf head, and I yeah. was gonna say, I think, like, as we've talked about it throughout this episode, and yeah, I, I, I think I may be at that tipping point too, where it's just like, I think deaf might be better. I mean, yeah. obviously, as one film, whatever, it doesn't matter, yeah. but, uh, but I think there is. Just something about uh, the way that he looks at, uh, like, sort of pet themes here in such special ways that is Mm -hmm. uh, really, really just memorable.
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, like it's it's a real like hooting and hollering kind of film for weissman heads you know it it <laughs> is. <It> is. <laughs> like like just like yeah budget scene yeah <laughs> <laughs> 45 minute conversation in a closed room yeah! like you know yeah. like it it's it, it brings you the goods and it, it delivers on them all and like you know the the pleasures of blind are like very apparent and clear and I will not dispute those, but like, I think blind is a film and maybe this is why it, it's first in the series. Um, mm-hmm. and like we were saying, you know, it, it, it can draw in, I think the average viewer in a way that maybe deaf doesn't invite as much, you know, if you're not as attuned, um, it's a bit more accessible, uh, and, and like, friendly um but at the same time you know something we'll talk about later with Brittany is like the way that the watching conversations you don't understand requires a bit more like active participation in your part in terms of like right. deciphering meaning and things um but for that reason you know i was wondering if this might be an answer I give to people in terms of what's the film you recommend to get into Weissman's work because of the way that that acclimates your viewership and engagement and and I think preps you a bit for like just what Weissman is and does in general in terms of asking you to participate in the meaning making, deciphering what's going on not giving you all of the context up front and and letting you work that all out um so so yeah
3: yeah maybe the answer to that is just this whole series I, I guess mm-hmm. we'll yeah. yeah we'll see um what else comes up but yeah
4: yeah i mean too, I'm, I'm excited to get to him um but yeah i mean that you know the, this is coming to be like a very fruitful decade for weissman you know in terms of just like the 80s like it's like banger after banger after banger i
3: know and after this series we still have like three like right. three pretty big titles. <laughs> oh yeah,
4: yeah, like I'm very excited for what's coming up after this series. I mean, I don't know if excited's the right word for Near Death, <laughs> but <laughs> but like like I know that that's like, you know, just a gargantuan mega film, you know. Yeah, yeah. So so but yeah. but the rest the rest of them up through like high school 2 I've seen before. And, you know, thinking about this series and Near Death, you know, I think a lot of the topics he probably chose for those series of films are like explicitly trying not to be engaged in such like heavy, serious subject matter, you know, and he's just starting to flex different muscles and stuff, you know, but I'm, I'm, I guess I'm getting ahead of us, but like it, it, it is just so like, we always say it like, it's so rich. It's so varied, the body of work and like, it's just, and this it's is a just blast. like
3: yeah. this is so far removed in a certain way from something like model, which was still in this decade. Right, that just feels right. like a totally different, um, like, uh, mo- like mood of film for him and different ideas and different milieu. Um, so yeah, nothing, nothing uh, we can say that would. Be overpraise. I don't think.
4: No, no, and, you know, not nothing, not not a whole lot new. But I think it's it just continually impressed upon us just uh, why we're doing this series. You know, yeah, every sure. time we do one.
3: Yeah, and uh, you can um, also support that idea by buying a shirt. <laughs> <I was laughs> was we're right. We're pretty no. close uh, to
4: breaking even. I think we need like nice. seven more shirts we'll get there
3: seven more <laughs> you see you're supposed to just say like there's only seven left ever and we're never gonna uh, make them again yeah
4: that too we we <laughs> and
3: you can be one of the last seven people to ever have one of these shirts um uh, yeah, uh, i hear i
4: hear it's a popular fashion item at toronto international film <laughs> fest right now um, that's right uh, and just, I guess, briefly, if you, for whatever it reason, it's fest season. It is, it's fest
3: yeah. season. You got to get that, you got to get that merch. Show, show
4: your colors, your true colors in this plain white tea. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I guess, just really quickly, if for whatever reason you haven't listened to the, interview which i don't know why you're listening to this if you haven't um, but the idea of the shirt it says fred weissman was right which was what it said on the shirts the student and the students at northeast high made after high school came out and uh, people started to be down on it so uh, it's a a rich tradition of advocating for the uh, truth as expressed by the work of frederick (laughs) weissman
3: right and you can do that and you can also uh uh send us emails about any such thing at uh wisemanpodcast at gmail.com and until next time i hope that you uh really enjoy our conversation with Brittany gravely we really get into a lot of the nuance of this movie
4: yeah yeah uh, we go deep especially into the peter scene a lot to talk about so here we go
3: back to Wiseman Podcasts. We're here with our guest, Brittany Gravely. She is the publicist and designer at the Harvard Film Archive. And Brittany is also a curator and, and experimental filmmaker. Um, thank you for being with us, Brittany.
5: Thank you for having me.
3: <laughs> yeah, so um, I guess just uh, can you can you talk a little bit uh, about your position at Harvard Film Archive and, and um, like how long you've been there?
5: yeah um yeah so so like uh, official title as you said is publicist and uh designer but i do uh you know i do a lot of writing um film notes we have all pretty much usually all original writing for every um series uh i've been working here since late 2010 and um yeah we have you know we're an arc a film archive with thousands of you know films and film ephemera and uh and then we're also a a movie theater that's open to the public you know generally art house cinema I was actually looking up how many times Fred Wiseman well so Fred Wiseman has come twice since since I've been there um Hmm. but uh he I'm sure was there other times like before Mm -hmm. my time but um uh yeah, so we have screenings like from Friday through Monday and um it's in a historically significant building on the Harvard campus design. <laughs> it's Le Corbusier's only North American uh design building. So it's cool. It's very brutalist in the middle of you know Harvard um mm-hmm. traditional classical buildings and stuff. So. Cool.
3: Yeah, I appreciate the the um, the original writing that the archive does have. Like, uh, I know, like I've been acquaintances with like um, Carson Lund and, and Jake Mulligan oh. before, and it was yeah. always reading their work. And um, but like, especially for like this project, where something like "Deaf," which like we we wanted to invite you on because we really liked uh, what you wrote uh, for it um, on the site. But like, where there's stuff just like so little written about something yeah and then you, and then you are, are able to find something that even if it isn't like extensive like it's original it's not just like the zip, zipper like you know stuff the just like pasted on
5: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like yeah list of things seen <laughs> like, like, yeah like a lot of yeah oh yeah thank you um no it makes my job very exciting I mean it's like because I feel like I you know, I'm always learning and it, you know, forces me in a good way to um watch things I might not normally watch and, and, you know, consider. And in that case, I was watching all of those wise Wiseman's before we showed them. And um so I get really into, I can get, if I'm assigned a filmmaker like that, I'll get really, in, you know, it's nice just like, focusing on someone it's kind of like being in school again in a way and mm-hmm. writing papers sure. and stuff but
3: so was yeah. that like
5: <laughs> was that
3: <laughs> was that your impetus to get interested in wasman or were you were you previously interested in him um, uh,
5: so yeah so before i worked at harvard i worked at documentary educational resources which was the company harvard. that john marshall and tim ash started mm-hmm. um john marshall I knew John Marshall. He was still alive when I started working there. Although he no longer worked, like DER was its own separate, you know, distribution entity, and he did his own work, but in the back, his back office, and he was finishing when I worked there. He was finishing a Kalahari family, his like five part series um, on the Janwazi of Namibia, but. Um, but yeah, so I always, like, I saw, so I saw Titicat Follies when I was in art school, um, and it really blew me away, and that was my first, like, Wiseman film for a long time, but it t- definitely, like, intrigued me, and then I wound up seeing, like, high school and hospital and a lot of the early ones. Um, I remember seeing him speak at the MFA th- with high school, too, mm. but um but yeah, so I kind of, I was always, I continue to be very interested in their relationship and the falling out and the fact that, you know, John Marshall was originally a co director of Titty Cup Follies. And uh, <laughs> and I even like, I have this early documentary book that even calls it John Marshall's Titty Cup Follies. Crazy. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, and you know, and I think part of that is like with cinema verite, especially in the early days, a lot of the camera person, you know, was I think considered, you know, obviously like really important as important as you know the director, mm-hmm. if not more so. And so, anyway, so I because I I really liked John Marshall and I appreciated his his way of filming. I had this John Marshall loyalty, <laughs> and like and like um, always figured that oh. Fred Weisman did something horrible, you know, like, <laughs> or whatever. But now, you know, I've read about it. I've heard what, you know, I never talked to John about it, but my, like, the woman I worked for told me, you know, what he said about it and stuff. So and I understand it was like, you know, to it, men with healthy egos. And like, yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, it was complicated and with the legal controversy. Yeah. But it, it is kind of like interesting their careers because. Fred Wiseman has this different kind of obsession than like John Marshall, who um, John Marshall was just like, so focused on these one people in the Kalahari. And um, the only reason he filmed other things usually was when he couldn't be in Africa or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. like if it were up to him, he would just have filmed them. And, and he had this ethics of filmmaking that like evolved over time um, because he, wound up seeing his some of his early films as naive and rejected them and stuff. But, but but Fred Wiseman has this different kind of obsession, you know, and focus in a different way. And also has these this kind of ethics and these rules. And I really I was like, what if they wound up being friends? You know? Like, <laughs> you know, like how what that, you know, I don't know. And it's kind of it's kind of too bad because I really feel like I'm sure I mean, I, I don't know after The Falling Out if John ever saw any of his films after that, mm. you know, or whatever, but I feel like they would have appreciated each other's work. But <laughs> um, And John filmed, made police films the same time Fred Wiseman was making Law & Order. Mm, interesting. And actually at the same time, Stan Brakhage also made a police film, which is funny mm. too. But, um, but yeah, so I feel like they were thinking along similar lines, even though their mm. careers took really... You know different paths so it. when people
3: when people like uh talk to you about titica follies do you say like oh yeah i love john marshall's work <laughs>
5: <laughs> yes no but i'm always like better mention john marshall You better mention <laughs> yeah. and it, that's why i i you know i listened to your yeah that was a great you know uh it, episode that you guys had with carolyn anderson and everything and Okay. I was glad that Don Marshall's fully represented.
1: <laughs> yeah.
4: It's funny you bring him up. Cause, um, just last week in here in San Francisco was the Crossroads, uh, experimental film festival, which I know you've screened in.
1: Oh. Um,
4: and I caught, um, expedition content, uh, the oh, sort oh, yeah. of, uh, mm-hmm. postmodern ethnographic film from, uh, Ernst Carroll and Veronica Cusimariati. Yeah. And, um, Ernst was there and in the intro he's invoking John Marshall as sort of founding this the institute I believe that Uh that commissioned the expedition and sort of situating like that ethnographic work into the sort of violence of like you know the imperialist project Um, and yeah it, it is interesting to sort of recall those origins for Weissman's film career and like Uh, think about sort of an ethnographic angle on uh, on titty cut and Mm -hmm. but i mean also through throughout the body of his work
5: Mm -hmm. yeah because i mean his work uh i mean i feel like all these guys like john marshall robert gardner Fred weisman a lot of them were doing ethnographic work but they weren't anthropologists and
1: Mm -hmm.
5: you know and and in that way i mean for me it like makes it better because like I mean Robert Gardner is sort of different. It, uh, he he is definitely different. John Marshall wasn't I don't think he was a fan of most of Robert Gardner's films because they were too arty or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um and not and but that's the that's another thing I feel like this openness that um I feel like they have because they're filmmakers and they're not anthropologists although like John kind of you know, although they lay out these like rules or whatever, both Fred mm-hmm. Wiseman and John Marshall, you know, and and ob- ways of observation and um, both like, you know, John had different things. He felt like people should have, everyone should, their names should be known and their humanity mm-hmm. should be, you know, clear, but he was dealing with the other. in And Fred Wiseman is kind of, we're kind of looking at ourselves, but the parts mm-hmm. of ourselves you know, this country, we don't see, not everybody
4: sees, I don't know. But, yeah. Yeah, when, when I interviewed him the first time, I, I kind of asked him about this ethnographic anthropological question, because, you know, there's certainly that element to his work. And, and he was saying he didn't really, you know, view his films in that way, he didn't consider himself an anthropologist. But he noted that I think recently, unlike Chinese public television, his films had been sort of in demand uh as and maybe thinking about you know uh, a separate culture and society viewing you know America through Weissman's lens as as sort of you know the other that you're talking about here um I think is uh interesting and like just something you know us growing up in America it's just like we can't it's difficult to to situate his films in that way
3: uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I mean we we don't I don't want to skip ahead, but uh it's just sort of interesting to think about with particular to the Deaf and Blind series, uh, this question too, because it is in a very particular part of the country and about a very particular set of people that are othered within the country. But um so um well, that that's great. I didn't know we were going to get like a John Marshall tangent. Uh, <laughs> that, was, that was great. So, do you have any like a uh, um, Wiseman favorites that um, have really stuck out to you over the years?
5: Well, actually, these did. You know, like at, when um, I didn't know about the handicap films, and actually, when I was doing the when I was writing for the retrospective, that was the first time I I watched. You know, we showed Blind and Deaf, and um, and uh, then before before i was on here i watched the other two because i had actually never seen them Hmm. and it's really a whole i felt like it's really a whole other thing um considering it as a the four together makes a whole other story but um yeah i mean i always loved i love i've seen high school a few times i i love i already love early cinema verite and then Fred Wiseman's are, like, so amazing, like, welfare, and, um, but later on, I really like Belfast, Maine, and, um, uh, public housing, actually, I mean, Mm -hmm. like, the, the, yeah, his films are, I almost feel like the films that, I mean, you guys, I think, have talked about this, but the films that are about, kind of like these, where they're about, like, Um, more humane institutions or whatever are more complicated Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
5: and not you know there's so much gray area
3: yeah for sure Um, yeah it's funny just hearing you like rattle off these titles it's like it, it reminds me of like how kind of silly it is like I think there's a shorthand of like oh yeah it's another Wiseman film you kind of know what to expect and it's just like but like this series and like Follies and like Belfast are just like drastically different <laughs> yeah. films yeah. you know
4: um yeah and even even within the series too i mean i think there there might have been like a, a tendency for some to like expect deaf to be blind but just subbing in you know like. a different disability but it's doing so many different things and engaging with so many different ideas than uh, what was explored in blind so just like you know film to film uh, con- I i mean, you know, I I do say this with some awareness that like we're pretty deep into it and are looking at subtleties and nuances. Um, but even still, you know the just kind of the rhythms and the pacings of the films. Uh, you know, there's there's nothing in Blind that approaches anything like we get in the middle of Death. Yeah, know? yeah, it, it's it, funny. Yeah.
3: It's funny because it's structured uh, like so similarly in the beginning. Like you know, you're you're mm-hmm. getting these like uh, these like lily pad shots uh, of of the place and then you're getting uh, the playground and then you're Mm -hmm. getting like this, like these various teachings that seem very like instructive and helpful and younger kids. And then, yeah, you're just like thrown for a loop.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Which I think that the Peter scene, like I feel like it not only changes um, how you view the rest of that film, but then when I reviewed the film, Uh, you know I watched it again before this and then I watched I kind of you know scanned through it again and watched certain scenes back and like it actually changed different things stick out to you as Mm -hmm. then problematic which I feel like like I was kind of thinking when you're first like when the films are first starting it's like you're also getting oriented to Mm -hmm. like this new like what's going on you're like as they're playing and learning and, and during this orientation phase, I feel like there is a danger of you becoming kind of institutionalized or whatever, Mm. you know, like you just get, you could just easily get in the zone and like being like, you know, like, okay, what's next. And, you know, that's interesting what they're learning or whatever. But the Peter scene, um, like, I was, like, so reeling after that. <laughs> like, I mean, both times, I mean, both times watching it, I could barely focus on the, I, luckily the next scene was wow. kind of jokey and stuff, but also had dark, darker undertones, which we could talk about. But, like, um, yeah, I could barely focus on it because I was still, like, processing um, that scene. And, you know, uh, yeah, I but mean, then I- there's a lot of weird stuff in this film, <laughs> too. <laughs> like, there's yeah. many weird little things.
3: Yeah, I think uh, in Stephen Mamber's diary, he kind of talks about how, like, uh, kind of what I was saying with throwing you for a loop, but more articulate, saying, like, that you're kind of slowly getting signs that something is not all right here. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, what's, oh, well, the prison is a big, is a big one, but <laughs> the courthouse. But, like, you get yeah. that scene uh, about the, with the overhead projector, which I loved because I kind of just hadn't seen oh, those yeah. so yeah, long yeah. but.
2: If you could make up one sentence using good details in your sentence, try to make up one for me. Now, you want to use good adjectives. You told me you said upset, depressed. What about lonely? He looks a little bit lonely right now. His expression is not happy. And if you realize it is Christmas time, You see the Christmas tree in the window, okay, if he looks lonely, perhaps, or perhaps he didn't get what he wanted.
3: Uh, She's talking about this piece of art that you don't really get to see very close, but of a boy on, like, Christmas time outside, and he's, like, depressed, and they're talking about it. And then, like, ten minutes later, if even you get to the mother and son scene the peter scene
5: yeah well and actually a girl in that english class when she's asking them like how, how they're interpreting it or whatever she says
2: I get away from
5: home. Mm-hmm. and you know and i didn't um even register that until i watched that scene again and then i was like oh and that's right before you know the mm-hmm. peter scene the abandonment issue but the okay so the courthouse jail thing (laughs) I watched that over and over (laughs) because there's like so much in it it's crazy like Mm -hmm. and also so just at the beginning there with the judge that whole scene is so Oh weird and confusing, yeah. nervous laughter, and
1: you should have seen, <laughs>
2: seen her upstairs sitting in your chair. Oh, is that
7: right? <laughs> you want
5: more?
8: <my> <laughs> she used your gavel. <laughs> let her let get gonna a, a picture. Of
2: oh, that'll be fine. <laughs> Bill, we had an election yesterday and we elected the judge and the sheriff and, you know, different yeah. So, everyone I've got, we had one, there's the defendants. Put him in jail quick.
7: He's, ready. Right. he's getting ready to get him hey, again. You, you have to go straight to
2: jail. <laughs> we got, not sure what. The we judge don't. said you
9: would have to. You no, have to go straight you have to, to jail, go see?
2: Straight to jail. Now, <laughs> <Ma'am>, come on. Come <laughs> on. <laughs>
1: Mm -hmm.
5: that little girl seems like she doesn't even know what the hell's going on like why she's there she's never smiling (laughs) or anything like everybody else is like laughing and the judge isn't really making any attempts to actually communicate with them for sure yeah like
4: like the the teacher or whoever's sort of their their chaperone is like trying to show him how to sign thank you and he could less interested
5: just like
3: thank you get out of my office makes a joke about it makes a joke about the black kid like taking a gun like holding a gun on him
5: yeah i know (laughs) that was like whoa and uh and then to follow that up with um so the woman the teacher passed they passed that wanted
1: wanted (laughs) criminal
5: board and she says that's the man who killed all the deaf people uh-huh, and right. when i first watched that i was like but what and yeah, I, I, yeah. Got to, I ran it back so many times and then i froze it and i looked at the name and then i wound up looking that guy up
1: so like, yeah, yeah yeah and he, he
5: uh i don't do you guys know this like you know,
4: i i i just after that scene i didn't do the eagle eye version you did. I just <laughs> googled like Alabama murder, deaf 80s, <laughs> yeah. and found the same guy. Found yeah. the
5: story, yeah. And yeah. it was at the school, and That's she brutal. says it, yeah. And yeah. she says it in this kind of like not totally upbeat way, but it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, you remember that? And which I, it's like
4: and, the, same yeah, was year. the same year, yeah, yeah. So it's like it's kind of surprising it hasn't come up. Exp- explicitly you know and
5: also it's and... clear like he still wanted. apparently at that point he's still at large yeah right right so <laughs> yeah. that's kind of scary <laughs> for sure <laughs> like, and that just the way she said that i mean maybe she didn't sign it like she said but who yeah. killed all the deaf people <laughs> <clear>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus,
1: yeah.
3: yeah you are, are just like all of a sudden just like oh 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 okay <laughs> and then and then they like go look at the policeman and they like talk about the gun and like zoom in close on the which gun. she
5: points out she's like points out the gun and says that's not play or whatever and then she accuses them of being obsessed with the gun like, <laughs> right. you know and then she asks them like where his handcuffs are handcuffs and like she's the, the one yeah. that's all caught up in this stuff yeah. like you know i'm sure they're interested in the gun but yeah, it's just like they don't talk about anything else or that we see.
3: Yeah. And then the one thing that they do get to like actually talk with somebody about is the prisoner.
5: And I know. Then, and I was still uh, like, was that a prisoner? Like I was like, was that a prisoner or was that just somebody
3: I think it was uh, my from from my reading and also just like uh uh other people's takeaway in like reviews and stuff, um it seems to be a uh, man in jail who like gets their attention like once he because he knows like that they're deaf and he's like signing with them and they're communicating with him and like talking and they're asking questions or whatever and then you just get like the teacher the other sign for me is like the teacher seems to be like sort of shepherding them away be like yeah okay let's
5: that's Which I mean, because very... they're so, like, engaged with him.
4: Right. Which is, yeah. I mean, just, like, the initial concept of the scene is, like, why are you bringing these, like, little kids through, like, a prison row, you know? Like, it, it was just, like, an interesting concept.
5: Yeah, I was, like, we were never taken on a field trip too <laughs> yeah,
4: <laughs> Like right. that,
5: you know? And I, I really wondered, and then, like, later, you know, would when, when punishment and surveillance come and to mm-hmm. play a lot then i was like you know that's interesting <laughs> yeah
3: yeah yeah it's uh which i think member also mentioned i didn't necessarily read it this way but it's worth considering in what you just said of just like he said that like in in this film you're offered like various possibilities for these kids as adults and yeah. that that is one where they could maybe see themselves like be like oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. somebody like me is in this jail.
4: Well, the, the way that sequence closes with uh, the woman who works there kind of showing them out and saying like,
0: Y'all come back to see us. Bye-bye.
4: Bye. Y'all come back to see us, you know.
0: Yeah, right? <laughs> <But, laughs> I, <didn't
3: think> <laughs> I think the real, like, at least for me, like the real powerful part of this is that juxtaposition of you have the judge who isn't willing to communicate at all and then all of a sudden you have this like shocking like surprise of this prisoner who's like really trying to communicate and then really being engaged with that. Um, it's really special and just like found magic kind of.
5: Yeah. And, also, and, there's that really fast shot of a boy washing a police car. Did you see that outside the window? I don't
3: remember. It's
5: very strange. Yeah. <laughs> the camera goes to outside the window. There's a boy. And I'm guessing it's not one of the, you know, kids from the school, but still he's definitely a boy watching. Yeah watching a (laughs) cop car
4: i I (laughs) I did note to sean at the beginning of that sequence there's also a very quick throwaway shot of this like guy standing behind a candy counter
1: yeah Yeah.
4: it it looks like he's like Like he's posing basically Uh for the shot in a way that you just don't see in weissman
5: that's true and
4: and it lasts like two seconds you know doesn't if it didn't come in the sequence that it does you wouldn't think that it's at this justice center you'd have no indication of that i was curious maybe he's wearing dark sunglasses if mm-hmm. the implication that he's blind maybe
5: oh uh, so maybe um, they can to get jobs there or something
4: right but do you, you, yeah you have, that's only you know speculation but
5: yeah yeah, yeah
3: i had to rewind that because i was just like it feels so strange as just like like how short it is um, but I, I think you're right but it is just kind of funny because he's just hamming it up
4: yeah Yeah, no i i cracked up i love that (laughs) show um
5: yeah i mean one thing i was wondering about kind of in general is the question of translation um Mm -hmm. and how different the film would be if certain scenes were translated for us you know people who can't sign
4: be very weird. I feel I feel like it would be yeah. you know it'd be a a sole instance because there's just not that opportunity in most of the films except I guess coming up and like in Jackson Heights you know years down the line, mm-hmm. um, but you know this was something that I, I feel is very key for the mm-hmm. film and and also key for Weissman is that like the way the onus is put on the viewers to Mm -hmm. observe infer and create meaning is sort of just a microcosm of what it is to watch Weissman you know on, on the whole and and I think it it's it puts you like viscerally in this situation that that all the films do but in such a way that uh, it's hyper focus, and you're you're. I think maybe a little better attuned to watch the rest of the scenes that have you know people talking um, a little more closely, a little more attentively uh, than than you might otherwise, because you know you're already kind of aware that that you need to be paying attention and to to subtleties and gestures and expressions and things like that.
5: Yeah. No. It, well, I, that's true, and also that you. You know, feel like they must many times when they can't understand you know people right but for sure I kind of had this well like midway through the film I was that I got I mean I was just thinking about that like what they like how you know they have to see it's really important like the, their language is so visual and then I I was like empathizing with that and then I started just watching people's hands even though I can't understand most sign mm-hmm. language but so then I got frustrated when he, the camera would go above and you wouldn't see their hands. <laughs> and even though I, it was ridiculous for me to get frustrated with that because I, could, <laughs> but I wanted their hands to be visible because I was like empathizing with. And then I was like, well, maybe if you know, hearing impaired people watch this film, then they can also. There's scenes where they also won't understand. <laughs> I don't know, like we, uh, have, yeah. but, well, but it's I, interesting. I don't know.
3: We talked on the last episode about. Um, <clears throat> this uh, psychologist from like the sixties who talked about um, how people who are like able-bodied can like when they're put in the, the uh, presence of disabled people that they can other them or like, you know, burden them uh, with their presence. And that Wiseman's project gives us this access that, that allows us to to bypass that. Mm-hmm. And I thought that like, he takes it a step further in this film with these scenes because like he knows that most viewers are not gonna you know know ASL and even if they do like we like you said we're not seeing every word signed and sometimes it's just close-ups and and sometimes it's you know some so much interest here is just like sensorial and like gestural Uh, but I think like he what he does with this is like flips that and like others us like what you're saying instead of like othering them and and Uh allows us to be like left out and trying to infer Mm and and tap in Barry Keith Grant talks about this just generally with the project of like how uh this project allows you to like transcend yourself and try to experience the world as, as different people do and and that's just exactly what those scenes do
4: and and it's it's something too that like formally is is just not possible in the same way in Blind, right? Like like yeah. it's it yeah. can be achieved only in this film. You know, I guess the the version of that for Blind would have been like Jarman's Blue kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but like here, you know, it's I think I think frustration uh, is is the right word to use, Brittany, because like there's um, I think in this film. Too relative to blind there is a lot more emphasis at least at least we're shown more of kind of um both emotional learning and sort of addressing you know the frustrations that must be inherent in this particular experience of of being deaf you know there's there's a great scene with the counselor and some uh uh, older girl students about um just communication
2: who are some of your favorite people, your friends, both boys and girls. It is not necessary to only have girlfriends if you are a girl. Sometimes you can really have a boy friend, not a sweetheart, but a boyfriend. Who are some of your friends? Can you think of people maybe in this room that you have not told? You are one of my very best friends. Who? Who's your favorite friend? Who's Car- your Carla? Carla Moore. And who is uh, Cassandra Davis. Uh-huh, okay. Uh huh. Okay. And Brenda. Okay, fine. We can go with the first names. You have two very good friends. That's nice. A friend is also a person that you can go to when you have a problem. You know, you go to
0: and talk about the problem. If you can't hold it in, you can go to see your best friend and discuss about the problem with that person.
4: And obviously, you know, the lack of or difficulty of communication in the Peter scene. Yeah. Um Yeah.
5: And and you like you were saying, like, you do, it does make you focus a lot on people's gestures and expressions, which of course they're doing too, because it's, you know, so important for uh, Mm -hmm. communication. But with the Peter scene, you know, we do have a translator for that scene.
2: I I am here like you're
5: you're writing a letter to me.
2: I'm waiting, waiting. I waited. I worry about you. I waited too and worried long, about you. It was too long. I'm mad. But now I'm mad. So then
5: I mad. Sunday I got I'm a letter. myself. And decided I would kill myself. And right. So on the other hand, I wonder like what that scene would play out if the counselor weren't translating mm. what was going on. And also, I was really wondering during that scene like, is she doing it for the camera? Because there is another later scene. I was like either she's doing it for the camera or she's doing it for the mother because she clearly knows early on that the mother can't understand everything. And then, but there is a later scene when she's talking to that other counselor guy and a teacher, she's also doing it there. So I was like, I think partly she's doing it for the camera, Mm. you know? It
3: would be an interesting question for either Wiseman or Davey. I mean, one of the many of like what it, it was like to be there and, and, how 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 filming these like sort of experimental films in terms of like the for- how the form works and how viewing them works um
4: yeah i mean i i i definitely took it in in the peter scene at least and we should say uh, the counselor is dr meacham uh they're they drop yeah. her name but um you know i i saw it as as translating for the mother and you know really advocating for peter in a way that is just impossible for them usually you know and i think the big uh drop for her in the scene is when she's like you know you it's it's implicit in everything that's come before it but then she just says
2: like okay this brings up something that i i think we need to discuss just a little bit y'all can't really communicate some of it is because of no signing skills on your part, right? right? And some is because you don't watch her anyway, but maybe, maybe he learned that because it's not really all that helpful for both of you to sit and try to communicate things to each other. And like,
4: that is the core issue that all of these problems are stemming from. Um, And like, it's a bit bold, I think, to say that to a parent, you know, as Mm -hmm. a school administrator, right? But like, I think uh, the mom doesn't take it, you know, any kind of negative way. But it's, it's like, probably something she just hadn't heard before, you know, in such plain terms that, you know, really needed to be said. Um, And, you know, that it kind of marks a pivot point in that scene, uh, where, where things start to reach towards some kind of, eventual uh bettering or resolution
5: yeah i mean i don't really know like i feel like that whole scene is about you know getting peter to submit but like um yeah so that that scene you know it's 47 minutes long <laughs> like, it's,
9: a, it's its own movie I, I, I feel, it
5: totally is yeah. and i feel like i didn't even it's just so it's so like you're so there you feel like yeah. you're so there. it doesn't even seem like it's that long but um, but it it's so painful, and I feel like throughout it there's these like major and minor revelations but
1: mm-hmm.
5: but the thing that like is like killing me the whole time it's like they're never validating like his feelings, like right. you know his father totally rejected him, and um. You know, has he's had serious abandonment issues, yeah. and and which even the principal says, like before, when they're all just three talking.
7: Yeah. Well, that response is is not necessarily abnormal. You know, I think there's a, a number of kids, probably a good number of the kids, who get who who come to school here. Sometimes the separation is such that they uh, they believe their parents don't love them anymore, yeah. or uh, if you love them, you wouldn't send them here. Yeah
5: i don't know i was just like so
3: there's so much stress put on like verbiage like when they when when they get the closest to validating his feelings that it's just like
7: you need to change the word that you use hate maybe better say don't like don't say you hate i'm mad with mama i'm mad with mother not hate
3: you don't hate your mother. But can't you take it a step further and be like, oh, okay, good. Like, talk about why you're angry. Yeah. And, and like, uh, and then we can have your mom, like, respond and maybe help you understand where she's coming from so you're not so angry, uh, so you can better understand each other. But it's just, like, so, I mean, clearly what you're talking about is, like, there are communication issues between the school and children just yeah. as there are between this mom and this child. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's, like, such a... I mean, it really is, like, incredible. Like, this mm-hmm. this scene, sure. because you know that this, also that this is probably, like... I mean, later on in the film, they talk about other angry children or children at abusive households, you know? Yeah. Like, they're dealing with um, stuff like this on top of, you know, their disabilities and whatever. And, um, but... They, it's like the message they send him. It's like, you can feel however you want to feel, but don't feel angry or sad.
7: And don't, <laughs> like, don't show. You know? Yeah, just smile. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like. Smile. When you're sad, you're not very pretty. When you smile, you're better looking. Also, too, like,
4: it it feels so privileged in a way that a lot of Weissman does, and like, you know, when the mom just drops this bomb on him, like
0: he does not love you. This yeah. is grandma told me. Yeah. She she grandma lied. First of all, she love you? Yeah. He yeah. don't see Johnny Ray. Johnny son's grandma. No. At his grandma's, but not at his real father's. Because his real father does not want Johnny Ray or Larry. He does not love you.
4: You know, in like just such plain terms, it's like I I don't feel like I should be witnessing this. You know, <laughs> no, this doesn't this doesn't yeah. feel like a conversation that should be happening in this setting. Yeah. you know, like and and it's sort of spoken out of frustration, I think, on the mom's yeah. part. Well, you know? you
5: know, yeah, she she said it right after he said he really misses his father, uh-huh, and yeah. I don't know. I was watching this with my friend, who's a who's studying psychoanalysis because i was really interested on her you know take on it whatever and she was like the mother's insecure <laughs> you know <laughs> and um and so that was like she was lashing out you know because he still and you know because she also says he says that grandma told him and she said grandma lied so she not only like <laughs> the, the father's out the grandmother's out he can't trust either of the you know and it's kind of like she could have set she doesn't really know she doesn't really know how the father feels about him he yeah. could love him but not know how to express it but be you know whatever and um every time she said that it was just like a knife <laughs>
4: well yeah. she she has she tells us about or tells you know the the room uh, about these experiences kind of earlier on right in his childhood and stuff
7: well that's that's that apparently is an issue yeah the real father, and the stepfather, and yourself, and well, the... Well, see, know what I uh, probably
0: should have done is, uh, years ago, should have told Peter how his real father feels back. That was one of the grounds for divorces, is that he couldn't accept the fact that Peter was deaf, mm-hmm. uh, that I had rubella measles when I was pregnant with Peter, and that was the cause of Peter's deafness, and he didn't want to hear nothing about that. Mm-hmm. When the doctor wanted to terminate the pregnancy in the beginning and all, uh, he was totally against it because uh, he just said, you know, women have measles all the time, and, you know, that's just nonsense. And uh, so then when Peter was born, and he there, it there was a long time before he would accept the fact. he said, I was looking for a problem, because I noticed right away that there was something wrong with his hearing. I knew it had to do with his hearing, but I didn't know to what extent it was. Right. And uh, he just said, I was looking for problems, and then he just never was able to accept Peter's deafness. And then when it, uh, Peter went into hearing aids and all, well then uh, he totally rejected him and the hearing aids.
2: Because that made him more visibly different right. as long as he didn't have the age. Right. It was not as so he's for never other people to take.
0: he's never been denied his visitation rights, he's never paid child support. And uh for a while we lived out in Texas, but when we moved back to Mobile he knew where I was at and he could have come, called, wrote, done anything he wanted to, but he never did as his own choice.
4: You know, uh to get to this point what they're at now, where they're, they're at the Institute and, and, you know, I think probably for the best for Peter. Um, but like, it it seemed like it's been this long harrowing journey to get there. But I think her, what she says to Peter about her, his dad is probably largely informed by, you know, just her own experience and difficulties in both his own like performance of fatherhood and probably their own marriage.
3: Total. Yeah. It, yeah. When you're talking about this sort of like privilege thing, uh, Arlen, it reminds me we, we bring up, or usually you bring up like reality TV on here sometimes. And it reminded me a lot of um, like uh, my girlfriend and I watch The Bachelor and The Bachelorette a lot. And that's constantly stuff that is just like you're being privileged to these conversations that should be extremely private. <laughs> and and you also have to think about how that changes the the uh, what's being said and the responses and stuff. Um, but also, like, you're watching usually, a lot of times on reality TV, the like, the attraction is thinking about a better way to do what they're doing. And mm-hmm. that's what you're doing, like, the whole time here. At least I yeah. was with the mother. Is just like, oh, I wish you would say this. No <laughs> yeah. I wish you'd do <laughs> yeah. this. Or the principal being like,
5: please, yeah. just like
3: – do it a different way, please. Yeah, um, yeah. But I was watching it with, with my girlfriend and she's a teacher. And, um, and she, I, w- I was just watching the movie and she sat down um, a little bit before this scene and we were like going to go do something. And so the scene started and, and she was like engaged with it. We both were just like, I had no idea what was going on. Mm-hmm. And, it was it was that feeling like okay as soon as the scene's over like we'll go like (laughs) (laughs) and it just kept going and we're just like speechless and then after it it was just kind of like that like a good place to pause because you're just like you have to take a Mm -hmm. breath and i was just like what do you think of that and she's like a lot of a lot of good stuff a lot of bad stuff (laughs) it's like i was like that's like that that is the beauty of 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 this scene and what makes it so special within Wiseman's like filmography is just like his ability to that gray area. Like you were talking about is like the whole thing is just like so much that you can't just say, you can't just say one thing and, and like put a bow on this scene. Like yeah. there, yeah. so much happens. And like yeah. Mamber talks about how all of these revelations are accruing throughout it. And they change the way that mm-hmm. we're viewing. Like we don't know that she's, she drove four hours to get there and has to drive back and like, this is how far they are. And this is how much it takes, how much effort it takes for her to have a conversation. Or we don't know like that we hear that, that she hasn't learned sign language and her child is 14 years old and you go, what the hell? And then you hear a bit more complexity about like how she has these three boys. And it's like, okay, I understand that makes it harder. I'm not in that position. Like we're just constantly like changing what we know about um and and which kind of also goes back to uh a line that we talked with eric heinz about of his about like how when you're watching these scenes and you you don't know when they're going to end you don't know how it's going to end and so you're just like shifting how you're watching the scene like it just makes you change change how you're watching it
4: yeah it's the, the same um the same idea that that benson and anderson had in their chapter about the store you know that uh member expresses it too you never know when it's going to end it could punctuate on any moment oh yeah Mm -hmm. and the meaning uh where it would cut off you know would change the whole scene Uh, yeah but then it just keeps going and going and the meaning accumulates you know as it always does and yeah it's just a a pantheon scene
5: yeah yeah they they keep on you know telling him i don't know how many times they say tell your mother (laughs) you know right yeah they keep on trying you know rather I don't know. And like you were saying, yeah, you just wish everybody would say things a little differently. And, but there's this constant, like, just do this, you know, forget about it, you know, and even Peter, I feel like he's probably at this point can't um, analyze, you know, he's not conscious of all this stuff that's going on, but on the one hand, he does seem more like he starts to say that he's only mad at himself. Right. and then the oh, principal's right. like what and and he's like oh forget Nobody. it because he realizes yeah, yeah. it'll just reopen this whole yeah. accusatory yeah. you, you get you get
4: the sense that he's just trying to kind of like end this yeah mm-hmm. like tell them what they want to hear so he can like get out of there
7: you know
5: yeah and um, then it like close you know it closes with this whole well the, the punishment equating punishment was love
7: i told you a little bit ago that when mama punish you Because she loves you and wants you to behave properly and grow up and be responsible. The house parents punish you here sometimes. I've paddled you before myself. I love you. I care about you.
5: You know, and then
7: following the rules when you. So when you learn to follow the rules, you will be happier.
5: You know, and um, he's like, do you think you could learn to follow the rules? And Peter's like. Yes, sir. And then, you know, the counselor is like, yeah, wonderful. Yes, sir. (laughs) Wonderful. And then it's like, uh, complete. You know, we've done it. Yeah,
3: Yeah, maybe that's a good uh, way. Well, we also didn't even mention that, like, the heavy part about it is that he is... Like threatened to kill himself.
5: I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> like no small yeah. like acting out, you know.
3: Right, yeah. To the yeah. point where he's like
4: borrowing a belt. You know, it's it seems like kind of serious ideation, and like you know they seem relatively satisfied where so he's like, okay, I won't say that.
1: Yeah. I'll, yeah. I his, kill myself, I'll myself anymore.
4: Yeah, I'll just stop. Yeah. Saying it. You know, and <laughs> and they they, you know. Uh, Rightly or wrongly, it's hard to tell without knowing more about it, but they're they're kind of like...
0: But then it could that he's used this. Now, it worked one time, it's worked again. Mm-hmm. And he could use now. I, I have to live in fear now. Every time he doesn't get his way, he's going to threaten this. And if I don't acknowledge it, mm-hmm. and then he did do something, then there's a big guilt trip oh, yeah. there. Mm-hmm. see, But then he's learned to use it to where all I got to do is threaten to kill myself, and I'm going to get my way.
5: Meanwhile, mentioning how he has this... Fear of the devil and obsession with death, or whatever.
1: Yeah.
5: And, uh, but her thing is like, oh, he's using this as a technique, or whatever, which, you know, uh, yeah. that could play into it, or mm-hmm. whatever. But that that was her first thing that she says. It's just like, I don't
3: know. Yeah. And also, she's like talking about how, like, tying into uh, this this discussion that we can have about like panoptic self discipline mm-hmm. Yeah, is we can use this fear of the devil to, like for our own <laughs> right. good yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. for sure yeah um,
4: the thing too you know we were talking about like this kind of word choice this like semantic emphasis thing um, which you know i think when he says i hate her or whatever like she looks generally like crestfallen yeah. you know listening to that and and yeah. I'll just, as a side note you know this is one instance where i'm really eager to get uh eyes on on the restorations because like just the the subtleties of of facial expressions in these kind of medium shots you know can can be lost a little bit and i think oh. a lot can be mm-hmm. gained uh, by restoring that um but it it echoes uh, an earlier scene uh, where there's some students watching like a videotape about like different ways you could sign the same word and express the same meanings and sort of
2: you seen the sign for coke sign coke people in different parts of the country might sign coke Who knows a different sign for ugly? Someone told me ugly. Another person told me ugly. That's really ugly, isn't it? Ugly. How many different signs do you know for light? Yeah, I
4: think there, there does seem to be some kind of theme throughout the film of like, like obviously communication, but more so like, like word choice and, and these sort of nuanced elements of language, um, that, you know, I was, I was definitely connecting the dots, but, you know, the connections between those dots was not necessarily clear as to what is, you know, being explored and, 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 uh, what Weissman might be saying about it. Did, did you guys have any sense about that idea?
3: Are you talking about like stuff like um, when they can't have or when she doesn't she doesn't know the word for like adjustment like that kind of stuff or
4: uh... just just the I guess the the ways anyone chooses, you know, deaf or, or not to. Uh, express them the same ideas in ways like particular to their own idioms you know mm-hmm. like like uh, whether it's like our, our experiences colored by like our bodies or whether it's just like our own sensibilities you know uh, but the way like meaning can change drastically right hate don't like you know the the mm-hmm. emotional impact of that is very clear and um, And like maybe it's sort of speaking to this sort of emotional engagement that I think is really present in this film, especially coming this scene and and later um, that I think really I felt the absence of in Blind. Um, Really, you know, we were talking about like frustration earlier and like like that. There, there must be a really frustrating experience, uh, being blind for these students. Um, but that's not something that's really explicitly direct, addressed in, in the same ways as, as the experience of deafness sure. is in this film, you know, um, I'm, I'm getting a little off no, away from my sense. question, but yeah, yeah.
3: I don't necessarily have an answer for your question, but, uh, but I mean, I enjoyed listening to that and I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways to communicate, and I and um, and communication is just so like even like you know she says in that scene with all the girls that
2: many times people that hear can't communicate, but I think with you it it is a necessary part of the commitment to make if they say that they will be our friend. For them to learn to sign, right? And it is necessary for our families to to sign to know when we need to contact other people. Maybe you live near a friend and need to tell your parents that you need to, to talk with someone about a problem. They have right.
5: to learn this language. And, yeah, um,
4: which speaks to the scene previously with the mom, right, where you think, like, like you kind of, again, think, okay, this kid's 14 years old, and I understand, you know, there are a lot of uh, difficulties and, and conflicting responsibilities, but, like, yeah, the, that word, commitment, right, is pretty major, mm-hmm. you know, you have to make that commitment, and, you know, we could see in the scene that, you know, she, maybe she's doing more broad gesturing, um, but, like, like she does know some words or have some familiarity, it seems like, with yeah, what if she was like, which, What's
3: the sign yeah. for love? <laughs>
5: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, her face yeah. throughout that yeah. scene, you know, she pretty much doesn't take I mean, to her credit, I mean I was mad at her the whole time, but yeah. um she doesn't take her eyes off of him, you know?
1: Yeah. yeah.
5: And just yeah. her face, it looks like there's so much you know, longing there for I connection think, or something. St- yeah.
3: I wonder if that's a scene that um, Davey and Wiseman in later years, like if they made these in like the two thousands, it would have just been like that one uh, medium, like master shot the whole time. Because mm-hmm. it does. There, there are a lot of cuts in this. Yeah.
4: yeah, it's worth talking about. You know, when they're just, you know, I think the scene starts off kind of reminding me of of the juvenile court like judges change your scene you know the way they're just kind of whipping around different people in these closed quarters Um, but as it goes on it seems like there's less of that and davy's more content to hold on a single figure even if they're not speaking and just watch them listen to what one of the other people are saying um and throughout we're getting these these inserts to uh maybe like we've heard them talk about like cover up when they're transitioning you know but between uh static shots um but like just just formally the way the scene is operating is is interesting to think about Mm
3: -hmm.
4: and and i guess structurally too you know the scene stretches across the you know dead center of the film and kind of divides it between Mm -hmm. uh, i think the the first third is very focused on like instruction and learning and the the final third is more administrative, yeah, and yeah
3: I wanted to say quickly, uh because you were talking about these sort of nuances of communication, there also is some stuff about technology and and I mm-hmm. know uh Coles and uh, Robert Coles and yeah. uh, Barry Keith Grant both talked about how um, the technology seemed to be a poor substitute for the human communication between like teacher help no, i have a
9: limited vocabulary yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah
5: but also that the the video class i was like that teacher was at that school you know i was like why are they having Learning to learn it, it this way uh, that was weird to me
3: yeah unsurprisingly the shot square on the tv screen yeah um uh but yeah, okay, so d l let, let's talk about the sort of discipline and 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 uh, surveillance aspect. Well,
5: also the fact that so the, the seemingly innocuous scene that follows the Peter scene, the basketball scene where oh they my have. god, to yeah. Be, so yeah, yeah.
2: So yeah, so and asking to split out so it looks it looks natural. Very quick. Right.
5: <laughs> and which is funny with Fred Wiseman filming that, but yeah. and so at first I was like, oh, this is just like breather after this whole thing but then you know when i thought about it before they were making these kids redo the you know yeah do, do it over do it over do it over and then i was like that's all they do <laughs> like there's so much rote learning that you're seeing and there's so much do it over do it over, even the even the fun <laughs> thing where the she's getting the kid to do that uh,
2: see you later alligator See you know After a while, crocodile. Alright, try again. <laughs> see you later, alligator. Do you know, quonky guy? No, no. I say, see you later, alligator. You say, after a while, crocodile. After after a while quacky Alright, let's try again. See you later, alligator. Do you know? Again. See you later, alligator.
1: Froakaboo!
3: Yeah! <laughs> Bye. Totally. <laughs> it's like yeah. a Marx. It's like a Marx Brothers. Yeah. But even with
5: like, yeah, even with these, like, fun things, it's like, do it over, do it right until you get it right, and then do it more. You know?
3: Yeah. That's interesting uh, to to frame it that way. I I I didn't think about it that way. I was I was thinking about it more in the way that we talked with Jessica Kingdon in Maneuver about, uh, and and Mamber talks about this too, of like, uh, you know, he's getting too close to the coach, the cameraman is, and like they're doing this, all of these things that are are like the antithesis of of what Wiseman does. (laughs) (laughs) And it's coming at a time when... Wiseman is in such frustration with with public television, and oh, here he's yeah. like showing this <laughs> this like news reporter. Be like, oh, you like this shit? Yeah, yeah. Right, <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah. Well, the and the, the repetition too is interesting because it's it's their fuck up, right? It's not the the, yeah, the, yeah. the players.
8: Yeah. The boys' team here at the Alabama School for the Deaf is not the only story, though. The girls' team
3: finished, right... Re-
4: no. <clears throat> you know they have to keep repeating because the the news crew like just keeps screwing up um and it definitely you know bringing all the callbacks out was was calling to mind for me model most prominently and Mm -hmm. the like walking down the steps commercial shoot thing you know it's just like over and over again um but yeah i mean you get the sense to the again you know like you're saying sean like weissman is placing himself in opposition of a certain mode of television and like like something i think that's implied is this is like as as uh presented on or likely to be presented on a local news segment you know probably one minute long it's really going to be playing up the sort of novelty right of like deaf people playing basketball right you know in a way that's just very like surface level and like uh highlighting i think we were talking about in blind you know the way society as a whole sequesters deaf and blind people uh uh, situates them away from like daily experience uh but we can go in and sort of tap these like individual or, or single experiences you know as we desire you know and say like look what's happening over here like isn't it nice you know what our society is set up for you know this population
3: yeah it's a great example of like a scene that seems like you said innocuous and then once you kind of like are like deep into like the wise and stuff, you kind of understand like that. Yeah, he is always doing like multiple things at once, uh-huh. uh, and and it's it's really rich. Um, so uh, one of, one of my favorite examples of the discipline stuff is comes pretty maybe right after the basketball scene of the uh, principal talking about right. uh, the <laughs> the necking, yeah. Knack, the <laughs>
7: If, you know, for any reason you happen to be around campus oh, no. in the evenings, it would be very much appreciated if you would drive through the campus and if you see something that's not correct, stop and talk with them about it. I, I was fortunate last night to be called back up here because of a problem. And I saw the lights off at Grace Hall. And Puzzled, so I went over to go in to turn on the lights to find, to my surprise, two students practicing what they've been taught in sex education uh, in that building. Um, They were very polite about it. We've we've taught them well. They They were just necking. That was all. They were being friendly with one another. And they stopped immediately and said, I'm sorry, <laughs> but, uh... Well, I mean,
0: don't
7: say I drove past the first time, and I thought, oh, it's okay. But then I, had, I stopped, and I backed up and drove down and uh, went in, and... Uh,
0: Which lights
1: did you notice?
7: It the outside lights oh. around the patio. It was dark oh, as it could God. be, and there were boys and girls all around. And I thought, well, you know,
1: Luke, I probably
7: need know. to stop and
3: look at that. <laughs> that was a good clue. In, in the um, Mitchell and Snyder academic piece that we, we talked a little bit about last episode, they make a good point about how, like, the principal's message is, one, that you need to, like, surveil the students, like, on the job, two off the job and yeah. then two or three like uh that like this is just internalized by the staff and they're just like oh yeah okay cool uh yeah yeah there's no like all,
5: it's all gay. jokey like they're all jokey you know it's all jokey that he caught the kids kissing but i was like they're not allowed to kiss know. you know uh, it's like it's really like yeah they're severely controlled i mean this is like i feel like this is what's like for me after the peter scene and with with continuing scenes um there's like more of like this punishment and control is coming out and um and angry kids like a lot of instances a lot of stories of angry kids after this and um meanwhile interspersed throughout are these uh you know the teenagers hanging out and Mm -hmm. talking and they look just like every other teen you know hanging yeah. out joking around whatever and um so you're like they are still teenagers For sure, yeah. but they're in this institution watched all the time you know yeah,
3: yeah which calls back the uh the in the opening 30 seconds those like three shots of like the the, the federal prison the institute <laughs> and then the, the movie the movie story the radio story yeah
4: <laughs> Um. It it also made me think, you know, something I was noting throughout the like first third of the film is, is, and I think we talked about a little in Blind too, is like the way that there's so much touch in the learning yeah. going on, you know, touch between students, touch between teachers and students, you know, and just... You know, obviously it's the reasons why are are clear, but like just the the idea of when touch is appropriate and inappropriate, you know, and, and the institution sort of defining that. Um, but, but, you know, t- touch seems to be a, a key thing, you know, in terms of, especially I think as, uh, speech and vocalization classes, you know, they're like, mm-hmm. uh, and they're always kind of, um, seem to be grabbing kids' hands and sort of guiding yeah. them in the way that, you know, they need to, to be.
5: Or yeah, even just to get attention, grabbing yeah. somebody. And I feel like it comes, like it's, it gets even more intense in, uh multi-handicap with touch. For sure. And, yeah
3: and all this stuff with like that that we're talking about is countered like so beautifully in like that very wise esque speech at the end um where like the idea is about individuality individualism yeah. and how you can do all this and you know i forgot who pointed it out uh, maybe like member grant but like uh member at this like these signs about obey your house parents and teachers and all this stuff but like which yeah. which is exactly in high school this right. this uh the double bind thing of like um you have to be yourself but you also have to be exactly who, who we right. want you to be yeah yeah right. um and now we're like you know um a couple of decades later like 20 years later and the message is like america's great you can be who you want to be but you you really do need to follow these rules <laughs> yeah, like, yeah.
5: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's so few instances of the, them being, you know, asked what they think about things. And there's yeah. just so many instances of them being told just yeah. what to do and how to do it over and over again. That Yeah. You know, there's not a lot of critical... You don't see a critical thought, really. Um,
4: it's, it's interesting, the you know, that, that concluding speech obviously recalls like the sign we see in the hallway earlier in the film oh, yeah. about like, you know, this is a great country. Like, yeah. uh, you, you have the opportunity to be great. It's like a very different messaging than I think maybe, uh, we might've grown up with an education of like, you are kind of special already. Like you are just by being, you are kind of like a successful individual and it's like up to you to kind of explore that. But it's like here, you know, if you do what we do, you can be great because we're in America. You have that opportunity. But, like, kind of the flip side of that sign, maybe facing the wall, is like, or you couldn't be in that jail cell, you know, like, <laughs> or, or McDonald's, as you know, like we see that. Right, that, that other example,
5: kid. yeah.
2: Maybe if we went to McDonald's and you were working, I could say, wow, today I went to McDonald's and I ate a hamburger. Cooked by Tommy. Right. Um,
4: and like, like um, you're talking about with touch coming up in adjustment and work, you know, there's a scene that that is a bridge between that film and Blind. Uh, the yarn board we get that's explicitly like a sewing class.
5: Yeah. Are you doing it right? Yeah. Fast. Fast.
2: All right. Pin it.
5: Be sure you got the pen. Okay, that'll hold it. Want it fixed so the the stitching on that
0: ruffle is in between.
4: Right, and like, like they, um, uh, Dr. Meacham at one point, there's, there's like a faculty meeting and someone's asking, you know, when should we refer cases to you? And there's one case like...
2: Because it, it does show that in real life, he would have a hard time adjusting what's the sign for adjusting somebody Changing. adjusting oh okay, like, but I would send that to the vocational department. We hope to have a vocational rehab rehab counselor by well during this school year. I would not handle that myself, but I would send it to the right place
4: we We get more of a sense that there is like a specific path that is being set up and that the Institute yeah. is like guiding the students along, which, you know, makes me think about the the Snyder and Mitchell piece, the visual Foucauldian. And, and when, when they use that term inmates for the students, mm-hmm. you know, it, it kind of starts to be a little more clear uh, as we, we think about this trajectory.
5: Yeah. I mean, the, the that, the, I mean, that's, also like, you know, Great Fred Weizman moment. It's the is that, you know, the last scene and the that speech from a man who whose parents had been slaves and he's all like.
6: But you know, this is the best thing in the world, this system. This is a system here where the individual is important. Do you, can you imagine in Russia, when we went up to the to the University of Moscow, beautiful place, you know. And some of the, the, the little girl who was our interpreter uh, tells me that uh, the professor, very few automobiles there. And the fellow who drives an automobile, he, he is somebody. It's a very few of them. Beautiful city. <laughs> Can you imagine New York City? This once in a while you see an automobile. But that's the comparison you see in Moscow. Beautiful city, very few automobiles. And the, and the, and the important people there is what? The state, not the individual. As we went out to the theater that night and we got off with a little girl who was our interpreter, Ms. Gasson talked so much, you know, that's another thing. You can get yourself in trouble talking too much, <laughs> in Russia in particular. And she would begin to praise about how, how important we was over here and what we thought about our leaders, some of them wasn't this and that, and this little girl resented that. She's the, she was an interpreter, you know, and she, she was in it and she took pride in the fact about how, what they thought of their leaders and their, and their selves was, was not important but the leaders. And as we found out, that, as they told us about this professor getting the same salary as probably the boy who was driving the automobile. And so the individual is not important, but the individual here. Yeah. We've been over in Egypt. We was in Cairo the day after they the bear the Shah. We went on the Nile River. We in the hotel, we stayed in there. We had to to the folks. And then the government owned everything, on the radio, on the newspapers, <laughs> and everything that was government owned. And no individual. And here we are here, and, 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 and you never see nothing in the paper there about, about any of their leadership all over the country, even down in South America, Brazil, beyond the Rio de Janeiro, where most beautiful city in the world. But the, but the rich folks is rich and the poor folks is poor. Ain't no between there. Here I got a fellow who works in my yard out there comes to work with a Cadillac car. <laughs> this is the greatest thing in the world. Nothing like it.
5: Yeah, oh yeah, only in America. Then you enslave a whole I, people.
1: <laughs>
4: like I looked him up, um uh-huh. Arthur yeah. Arthur Gaston and like he was involved in the civil rights movement. He ended up having a split with King over Birmingham. Um but he, him and his wife were like kidnapped and beaten and Whoa. like he was found like bound in a car, you know, a couple hours later. And just to think like, oh, like I could only be me here, and if I were in Russia, you know, I would never like the idea that like, oh, America is the the best place. You know, when you've had that lived experience, and like, like you're saying, you know, you're you know people in your family who were slaves. Like, yeah. it's just a a doubly ironic thing. But then there's also this like real condescension about it, where oh, yeah. he's he's talking to this assembly of deaf and or blind students mm-hmm. you know where it's like
6: about handicap. ain't nobody handicapped and if I could give any of you folks who, who, who might think you're handicapped I want to give you, you're blessed you're living in a great country one of the greatest in the world and there's no such thing as a handicap as I walked to the desk there and saw that little lady there down at the other place I went to I, I, I couldn't imagine that she could say anything to me but she began to talk to me and she did, the, you know, hitting that, that computer. You know, that's nothing. When I came up, you know, we had a slate and a rubber on the end of the pencil. If you made a mistake, you could rub it off. <laughs> but with a computer, now it's got to be done right. And here, he had that girl down there blind, pushing that button. She's smarter than the whole eyes of us. In fact, I couldn't, I wouldn't know how to do it so you're not handicapped you
5: know no it's so complicated and like yeah but he basically he's like assimilated you know Mm -hmm. and has has Mm -hmm. achieved within these acceptable parameters and whatever but found success in a in a way that's appreciated in a capitalistic society or whatever but But he's never, you know, it's not like he's forgetting that he's black at any moment in his life, and he's telling these kids, you know, like
3: yeah, it it, it reminded me a lot of the uh, public housing speech near the end, where he's just like, all you need to do to get out of this is start an elevator business (laughs) or uh, (laughs) a light bulb business, (laughs) Um, or like the the um, the Marty Walsh speech uh, to the Latinx employees. community about how like well you know my irish ancestors were also you know right, they, yeah. they were treated poorly and uh they were called dogs and they started a business and <laughs> and but like um you know all three of them talk about you know how these disadvantaged people just need us to, to start a business and and looking up gaston it is interesting that like his business ventures he was like a mine worker, and he was like basically just making money off of his fellow workers through like mm-hmm. high percentage loans and like starting a burial insurance company for like the widows of the mine workers. And it's just like- Right. Oh, uh, all right. that's interesting. <laughs> like that's <laughs> certainly,
9: certainly interesting to think about.
4: Which the guy who introduces him frames as like-
9: He kept going to, to funerals and seeing people pass the hat to pay the expenses for the burial. And so he, he believed there had to be a better way, and so he set about to start an insurance company. And I've read many, many interesting stories associated with that early beginning, and maybe he'll share some of those with you today, but that business today is worth $550 million.
4: You know, it made me think about just the last film and Blind. The speech we get from that one student, you know, like America, land oh, of yeah. the free. <laughs> of you know, sort of imagining that kid growing up and taking that speech at face value. You know, and sort of um, um, impossible, also not to think of the speech at the end of high school.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, of you know, and it's just like the The consistency of like the ideology that's being espoused in these mm-hmm. institutions uh, over decades now, um, but like you know you, going back to the Peter scene and the principle, if you follow the rules, you will be happy. Like there is some degree of truth in that, just because of the way society set up.
5: Well, speaking of starting a business, <laughs> you know the the, the scene before at the budget meeting.
9: Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I'm a like. I think I'll begin with just uh, a few comments about uh, what we were able to accomplish last year. John, you know these figures, Uh, going into the 83-84 budget period, we were at 8.9 million dollars. Thanks to your support, we increased by 20.7%, and that included, of course, a 15% pay raise for faculty and staff. That took us to a a base of $10,770,000. And then when you add the $205,000 in teacher units for these preschool centers that Doug will speak to, that took us overall to a 23% increase. Landmark moment for Weissman.
5: Yeah.
4: yeah. (laughs) Yeah. First, First time we got one, yeah
5: it's like is this to remind you that this is a business just like any other business or you know
3: it reminded me of like the ending of um of burn after reading where you're just sort of like transported to like these like two men in a remote room like kind of commenting about this thing that is like clearly not something that they or it seems like it's not really something that they know a whole lot about and they're not signing which is like um, oh, yeah. very dis- distinct within the film because every yeah. scene has signing. Um, yeah. it, it just has this weird sort of like removal.
4: Yeah, you get you get the sense that none of these actuaries have like ever had an opportunity to interact with one of the students at the school. You know, their their role and and purpose is like completely separate. Yeah. Um, but I think. You know, in addition to the business idea, I think it's it's well, you know, again, it's this key for Weissman because budget meetings are like kind of become like a, a, a like a stereotype of like mm-hmm. what his films do. Um, but like kind of another way that Weissman is sort of bringing this whole thing into reality you know i think and and this is something i want to talk with you guys about more broadly is like a lot of the writing around blind was just like so effusive about these like lofty ambitions of the school and like the great work they're doing and it it kind of contains like you know especially when you think about just like conversations around american publication public education in general you know this sort of exceptional thing and like i think this scene helps to sort of grounded a little more and say like you know this is still within our you know whole situation of like government funding and like they're talking about you know the bare minimum of of what they need what's their Mm -hmm. floor you know and then like being practical and like maybe you know then built over a period of years building up to what they call like excellence i think or like exceptionalism you know and like uh the just sort of these, these real limits and, and uh constrictions that are placed on not only the Alabama Institute for the Deaf and Blind, but like just all of our public institutions and and, and you know uh, thinking about it that way and thinking about everything that every time these scenes will come up in his films you know it's surprising actually kind of that we haven't really gotten one for uh-huh. especially you know kind of that early stretch of like very like public institution oriented uh series
3: yeah we get a little similar one at the end of primate but but they're different because yeah yeah of the way that they're funded but Yeah. Um, I was going to say when you were talking about like the, the, uh, how this, that ending reminded you of that speech in blind of like how kind of tying it back to where we started of like how this does work. And one of the, one of the contemporaneous critics did talk about like how this should be in a time capsule and uh, 200 years later. And it does work as like, for me, who was only like a year old when these films came out, like understanding that um american like individualism and like freedom like how how that was being talked about very specifically in in places in the country um it is it it does work quite well as a as a time capsule
5: yeah i mean i was actually in junior high at this time so <laughs> it's all like uh yeah <laughs> it's like we're you know it's like this weird uh, the parallel world for me because everybody looked like they did in my junior high yeah (laughs) yeah you know
3: do you remember that being like a a part of your education like that sort of rhetoric
5: yeah i mean definitely the patriotism and the propaganda and the you know cold war stuff was was pretty constant just like it is in in these you know um where russia is just like you know depicted (laughs) as
4: well in both instances in these films it's like yeah uh, the america is only in opposition you know to what russia isn't, mm-hmm. kinda, yeah. like is in, kind of you know there's like such an emphasis on there. that yeah, <laughs> right, yeah exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. um
3: well uh, are there are there any parts of the film that that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to me
5: um, scan my notes i i mean i felt like in a way I listened to I didn't re-watch Blind. I, I listened to your podcast mm-hmm. of it. Um, but I felt like this was I mean, because of the Peter scene, I felt like of the four films, this was kind of the most emotional for me. Um mm-hmm. I do feel like yeah, the order like is important, like you guys were talking about, and like um multi-handicapped is almost like the most subtle sort of um mm-hmm. because it's, it gets further away from you know for me who's you know i'm never around people with like cerebral palsy or you know mm-hmm. i like it gets further away from me being able to understand and in this one like it's more you know relatable to this extent but still. Um, you know, I think they mentioned in that the Snyder Mitchell article about everything staying within the institution, and you know, in this one, like uh, the moment—the only moment they're out in the world, they're in another institution. You know, the- <laughs> and yeah. what an institution. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, but you, yeah. So it's interesting because you don't really see that one scene where they're up against, you know able-bodied people it goes it's terrible (laughs) like whatever and it's like you know and so that's just gives you an idea um and like they mentioned in the article i was like are they being prepared for you know life in the real world or are they just being prepared for life in an institution and i feel like that builds up that whole question just you know culminates in the last film painfully so but like (laughs) um but yeah i did always have i mean it's Cool, you guys asked me to do this one because I this was like oh this film just it blew me away when I first saw it and like it always like stuck with me.
3: Good, I'm glad you came on. Yeah, I I think both the last two of these, like I kind of was was like in the first first thirty minutes or whatever of Blind just kind of like fly by, and the beginning of this when it does start similarly, I am kind of just like uh. I hope this isn't just like repetitive and then <laughs> like and it, which i think said more about my mood than like lack of trust mm-hmm. in the series um and then yeah both of them have just been like holy cow like yeah. the the ending of this film I was just like cackling at the crowds not <laughs> <For laughs> like, sure, yeah. to be kidding me
5: uh, yeah and it's kind of like he what happened to him the gaston guy like i mean he was he's turned this whole thing into yeah he's really fully like, at least expressing outwardly he could feel you know i'm sure he has like very complex emotions and whatever and this is his public speech but yeah he's performing he's being a good boy you know or whatever <laughs> which i feel like in the next film you hear that so often the good girl good boy thing interesting and um and he's being the good boy just like at the end of the peter scene they've got him he said yes <laughs> right. sir you know yeah, and
1: it's yeah. like yeah,
5: yeah. <laughs> all right he said yes sir he's not gonna commit suicide <laughs> <I'm> like, <whatever. laughs> and and also yeah. i was thinking about b being that you know he's like like a little older than i am um right now and i was just like i wonder i really wonder what happened to peter uh, you know yeah. interesting yeah, that's like, a
4: good question um, yeah. Well, we, you know, that was, that was something I meant to bring up when we were discussing the scene, but like, we characteristic for Weissman. We have no idea of the outcome. We don't know if he continued to make suicidal threats, if he was, you know, having issues, you know, if he ever got to go uh, uh, with uh, Bubba, his friend, you know, like, like we, all of that is up in the air. And like, you know, I think we have in our discussion, maybe a pessimistic sense of what the outcome of that might be. And, you know, these troubles are likely to continue. Um, But yeah, that's, that's a really good Question is, is yeah. where where he ended up. Yeah. Um. I'm also, you know, before we we get too close to wrapping this up, Brittany, I, I did want to just ask, having um watched a uh, story of the dreaming water on uh, Vimeo, um, just sort of you know what you might if you're conscious of like Weisman's influence on your work, just thinking about this kind of like, I mean, I'm I'm making an assumption. You. Could, tell me if if i'm off base but the like the repurposing of actuality footage you know uh-huh. uh through through your artistic practice and like um creation of new meaning from old material uh if you you know are are conscious of Weissman's influence if you think it's more of like a, a subliminal thing or or how how you view that
5: yeah maybe subliminal i think the one that's up on um that's that's not password i meant to i need to unpassword more of my stuff but like <laughs> um i never think about it but um i think that's the the two the second one right it's like I like the with, imagery is pretty dense or is it is it first like, one the first one with the, like the, the baby and... the baby
1: yeah
5: okay because the second one it actually has john marshall footage no <laughs> like, really Oh
6: no
1: kidding because okay.
5: when i yeah. was at, at der like they were just tossing out tons of i mean his you know, a lot of his films are, went to the Smithsonian, some went to the Harvard Film Archive, and, um, but he just had, like, when I started working there, it was, like, work, print, work, it was, like, covered, you know, so I took a bunch of stuff in, (laughs) like, but anyway, um, but definitely it must, yeah, seep in somehow, because I'm, I'm always, like, I just really, like, in, the way experimental like I've always been drawn more to observational and experimental documentary because of that openness and that like it's up to me like it just throws throws so much more back to me to like if I want to you know research this further or like you know if I or or, and just in the viewing experience like putting more work into it and making you know like Mm -hmm. that that cognitive Thing. I, I it's just um yeah, I've always appreciated it and I appreciate that like about his films and and then the the artistry. I mean the the thing that it's similar with like John Marshall. John Marshall put like kind of this practical element first and even though his films are very artfully made. And I think it's similar with Wiseman where you. almost He has this like thing he's doing, but then you almost don't notice all the incredible Mm -hmm. artistry that's going into it, you know, Mm -hmm. and all the decisions that he's making, like not only when they're filming, but then in the editing, a whole other, you know, constant like, and then, you know, you can think just as much about what you're not seeing as what you are seeing you know, un- unlike the For people sure. who saw that little news piece on the basketball teams, so they're like, yeah, like, Oh, that's cool, so doing a great job. Okay, yeah, yeah, but, oh,
3: uh, he just jumped uh, in the middle of the court and they ran around him. Cool, <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, right. if we yeah. if if we ever uh start Marshall podcast, we'll him that. <laughs> <everyone. laughs>
5: I mean, he was he's one, but you know, I mean, Fred Weisman. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Fred Weisman did a great job at, does a great job at like you guys have talked about this too, at like his whole distribution, his control of mm-hmm. his work and everything. I don't think Don Marshall was so focused on Africa that um all that he let other people, you know, take care of that stuff and oh, sure. um and he was never like a self-promoter. So, you know, that's why I always like talk about John Marshall. <laughs> <It's, like, laughs> not a lot of people right. know about him. And and it's like that pigeonholing into the ethnographic realm. And a lot of his films are so beautiful and like so accessible, you know, apart from eth- ethnography. But um, it's kind of like, you know, with educational films, uh, like there's a, I don't know, I just had a, program of educational films at the harvard film Archive, but but it's kind of like that thing too they get forgotten um because they're in this specific thing and like Mm -hmm. it's good that like um because you know a lot of educational films are written off once they're too dated or whatever but then sometimes they're still incredible films but they don't apply for classroom learning anymore you know so then they just are relegated to you know interesting yeah yeah yeah
4: Yeah, I'm I'm, uh, run a a educational distributor, uh, not dissimilar from DER. And you know, that's something we're always talking about is like uh, the concept of like an evergreen uh, title. You know, Uh Uh because that this idea that educational licensing for docs sort of has this life cycle of like a year or two. You know, after release, and then you're kind of moving on to the next one. But like, what are the films that? you know, can stand a decade or longer, um, is is you're always trying to, trying to suss those out and it's, it's a constant puzzle. You never know what it's going to be. Um, but yeah.
3: Well, Brittany, Mm -hmm. thank you for coming on. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. This is uh really, really great. Um, and,
5: uh, yeah. Well, I look forward to listening to the, your other episodes. This is really great. And thanks you guys for doing this. Thanks for this for coming. Yeah, this was the best.
3: Yeah, we will talk to you later.
5: Okay. Cool.
8: And as the kids, you know, develop their sign language, we're just going to change. also. Okay, almost everybody knows shoes. Shoes, yeah. yeah. Okay, coat. It's like you're putting on a big heavy coat.
5: Pulling it up over your shoulder. Pulling
8: it over. Now, this is put on a coat. This could be take off. It's really a gesture than a true sign. Coat where is your coat? Or oh, you know, and once you come in, you can take off your coat. Okay, okay. that's the verb and that the noun. Co- that
5: covers the whole sentence. Take, take off, off your, your coat. coat.
8: Okay, It's really just sort of a gesture. There again, you start miming it. Wine is a w <laughs> down the side. Okay. Beer is sort is a sort of a B. Okay, you gotta be careful with with the B sign because there's some other things they use like yes. a female dog, <laughs> you know, but that the emphasis is a little different.
1: Okay. <laughs>